0: Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifarus galaxy, on a small planet called Geckonia, east of the Albino Hills and south of the raging Leucistic River, comes the one, the only Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening everybody. I hope everybody's doing great tonight and um you guys know that this is a very special holiday weekend. Um take a minute to honor our soldiers fighting abroad and of course our veterans. All right. It's not just a holiday to have a barbecue. Um no, it's uh a lot of people forget what these holidays are really all about. Um well, today is May twenty fifth, two 2014, and we have a great show uh, planned for you tonight. And it's, it's timely that we've covered this particular species. Tonight, we are going to be talking about gargoyle geckos. Um, the Latin name is Rachodactylus auriculatus. hope I said that right. Um, gargoyles are quickly becoming a very popular species to keep. Uh, partly because of their calm temperament, their ease of care, um, and now we have all these different color morphs available. Uh, breeders like our guest tonight, Paul Morlach from Rackhouse, are working on just incredible, incredible lines of these uh, these gargoyle geckos, and um, they're really interesting. I see Paul a lot at the expos that I've been at in the northeast, and uh, his table is usually pretty hard to get near. There's a lot of people checking out his stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to have him with us tonight. And for the uh, for the occasion, we're going to be taking calls in the second half of the show, everyone. And uh, Paul is very generously uh, donating an actual gargoyle gecko tonight for our nightly raffle for callers. So um, the way it works is uh, you guys call in during the second half of the show. The number is 646-478-5331. Again, it's 646 When you guys call in, ask us a question or a comment about gargoyle geckos, um, anything you want uh, related to the show, reptiles, you, you feel free to ask. That's quite all right. Um, and what I do is I keep track of the calls. And tomorrow or the next day or sometimes in the middle of the week, depends on how busy I am, I do an actual raffle with all the names of the people that call in. And uh, one of those lucky people that called calls in tonight is going to win a Gargoyle gecko. You're going to have to pay for shipping. All right? That's how it works. So uh, we're going to be changing the format a little bit, too. And um, I'm going to explain a little bit more about that in a minute. But first, I just want to mention, to everybody, that uh, uh, if you guys have been following my YouTube channel, I just posted a video with some amazing babies that have been hatching out here. And uh, I just wanted to uh, to talk a little bit about uh, one of my projects, but I'm going to wait until I bring Steve on. Um, I also want to mention that the group Gecko Nation that accompanies this show and complements the show, we're up, we just uh, made it to 2,500 members, and the group is doing so well. It's just a very positive, friendly, helpful group, and uh, it's just, I'm amazed that it's going as good as it is, and for as long as, we've been going strong for about eight months now. So, if you're on Facebook and you'd like to be able to interact with other uh, good people in the community and you know, ask questions about husbandry or show off your animals, whatever you like to do, uh, check us out. It's Gecko Nation. Apply for membership, I'll, uh, and I'll uh, let you in. Um, also, I'd like to um, see what else did I want to mention to you guys. Well, you know, the, one of the things we're going to be changing is the way we're going to be doing the news. Um, Steve and I talked about it, and we want to just make some, some new uh, changes to how we do things. So I'm going to go ahead and bring on Steve.
1: Good evening, Gekonians. <laughs> hey, Steve. How are you, Bud? Good. How are you?
0: Good. How did your move go? Are you all settled in or what?
1: Uh, we're all moved, but not settled yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sometimes
1: it, it, it's people gonna, never get
0: settled.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna right? gonna be a process. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: How was it uh, moving all the animals? Did you do it? Was it hard or easy or
1: what? Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> really. I mean, it was our. Right. I mean, it was a lot of work, you know. Everybody's okay, but it's just a lot of work. I never want to do it you, again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know every time we move, we always say, "All right, it's the last move," but then it never turns out that way, right? I
1: mean, you <laughs> yeah. always wind up
0: wanting to move again. Horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you and I, you and I were talking a little bit about making a few changes to the news segment, and um, you, we're going to drop the the uh, the uh, fake story bit because uh, and the, and we're going to lessen the amount of stories only because we noticed that uh, by the time we got done with the news it was all, almost you know forty five minutes into the show and that took a lot of time away from the guests and I think um, a better way to do it is to you know breeze through the news right in the beginning and then move on and bring our guests on but uh, what we want to do everyone is we want to bring more. Uh, relevant news to you that's more relevant to the community. So, Steve, what do you got for us tonight? I know you have a few choice stories for us.
1: Yeah. Um, The most important story I found was about frozen rodents. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Reptile owners around the country are on alert. Two federal agencies are investigating at least 37 people in 18 states have gotten sick. Five had to be hospitalized, and according to the CDC and the Food and Drug Administration, the cause of all this is salmonella that can be tracked back to a product sold by a Florida company. The product, frozen mice to feed your pet snake, and under the name Arctic Mice. So apparently yep. these are available in like Pet or Pet Pet Smart and they're produced by Reptile Industries and they have been in business for 30 years. So they've yep. been around a long time. And the yeah. CDC the CDC and the FDA issued a warning to pet owners who have purchased frozen rodents packaged by Reptile Industries since January eleventh, two 2014, advising that these products have the potential to be contaminated with salmonella. All right, so I'm going to... Yes,
0: everybody, it's kind of common sense. Wash your hands, yeah. use gloves. I mean, but here's what I want to say. Now, 20 years, I, you know, I'm not trying to defend anyone or anything. I'm just going to tell it the way I see it. Now, for 20 years, they've been in business, and, you know, for something like this to just happen now, it just seems really... Um, doesn't seem too coincidental to me, and you know, and for thirty people, I mean, what they've been and and they've been selling mice to Petco and Petsmart for so many years. Why, right. why did this just happen yeah. now? And mice mice really are filthy animals. If you don't clean up, clean their cage, their uh, bins, or wherever you're keeping them in, off, you know, they can breed all kinds yep. of disease. Of course, but um, yeah.
2: you know, I Watch.
0: I think there's more to this story, and I don't, I wouldn't go. You know, going off the deep end and bashing reptile industries right now.
1: No, you know, just no. because of
0: this story, because you know, there's more going on here.
1: Um, yeah, you don't. You yeah. don't know. If, you you know, you don't know if those you know 37 people out of 100,000 who might have bought them could have left them out too long. Right. You know. That's I mean, true. So it could be their right. fault and not not the company's fault. You don't know. You
0: don't know. This guy exactly right. So, you know, there's so many factors that can be involved.
2: But all right, just
0: keep an open mind, folks, before we start, you know, condemning a a well-known business that has been doing this for a long time. That's what I don't like to see when people, you know, just, you know, they they take everything at just face value and they don't, you you know, keep an open mind about things. And, I mean, I'm sure more news will come out about this, so
1: you'll keep us updated. Right, Steve? Yes, if I hear anything else, absolutely. Cool. All right. All right. And our next story. I could not leave this story out because I got to have a little <laughs> comedy. So, <laughs> a Spanish woman went to the hospital after being bitten on the rear <laughs> by a snake in in her toilet.
2: Oh god! Another one of those toilet snakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the snake disappeared when she flushed it. <laughs> so, so they don't. That's don't, funny. Don't know. Yeah, that's that's the story. That's the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had. Oh it.
2: man. Yeah. All right.
1: And and Ron Tremper posted recently on Facebook about his pastel raptors.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Years ago, pastel raptors were derived from three original blue-belly albinos. Ron has been breeding pastel times pastel for some years in hopes of duplicating the blue gecko, and I hope he can. I would love to have one. No (laughs) luck yet on reproducing that. But could the pastel effect be passed on to other morphs? This year, Ron set up test breedings using a top pastel rafter with four to five other non-related morphs the first pair of eggs has hatched from a pastel raptor times a tremper albino. And the photo can be, you can go on Ron's Facebook page and check out the photo because you can tell the difference in, in these, these two geckos. The photo clearly shows a distinctive difference in skin pigmentation between the two clutch mates. So possibly the pastel gene just might be something new. And that's mostly right, out of, right off of Ron's, Ron's post. But check that out. Nice. It, yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, if he doesn't hit on the blue belly, can we get something else? Uh, that's fun to work with out of it. It's still a win as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, you never know when he starts You know, adding a morph to it what's going to happen. You never know. hmm that's true. That's absolutely true.
0: Well, I always uh I mean I there's obviously something subtle and beautiful about the pastel raptors. They definitely do look different than other raptors. Um I know Daryl has a pair. Uh I know a few other people that work with them too. And uh you know, I mean who knows? Maybe maybe it just needs a, a little something extra to bring out to bring back that blue belly. Maybe maybe it's just waiting to you know, hit on the right combo, and then, bam, it's going to pop out again. Yeah. I mean...
1: (laughs) Oh, I can't wait.
0: (laughs) I know. Well, you know, we have been able to get some really nice bluish lavender on some albinos, and and I'm, you know, with my own emery line, uh, some of my emery are showing nice lavender coloration as adults that I've been selectively breeding for. So maybe in time, we can get the lavender to have a bluish uh, effect, or at the very least have some pure purple stuff going on. So that'll be cool, yeah. too.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. I know
0: Rebecca Hassler, Rebecca Hassler in Germany, Dragoon Gecko, she's working on some incredible lavender stripe stuff and uh, albie linebred snow um, crosses that she's been focusing on for several years now that are, they look purple to me. They got like this grayish purple look to them. Um, really, really impressive stuff. So if anybody out there is listening wants to check those out, definitely look at Dragoon yeah. Gecko. But, um, yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think, what else? Um, I've been, you know, I don't want to talk too much about myself, but I do want to mention everyone that um, I've been working. As you guys know, the Enigma gene is very controversial in the hobby, and um, I, I've made it a point to never. Uh, I didn't even acquire bad Enigmas. I always started with the strongest, best ones I could find. But um, by introducing E. fasciolatus, pure E. fasciolatus genetics, to two of my Enigma lines, I have been able to all but eliminate, you know, signs of major ES. I mean, minimal at most is what I've seen in, in my own collection here. But um, I did want to make everybody uh, aware that I posted a really cool video of some of my latest Gem um, Snow stealths, which are basically Gem Snow Radar Enigmas. These also have some lavender in them, too. But um, they came out incredible. Literally, their eyes glow red like demon eyes. They're just amazing. So if you guys like to check them out, I posted pictures in the group, Gecko Nation, also uh, on my Facebook page, Dave's Fine Geckos, and uh, on on the YouTube channel, David's Fine Geckos. So check it out, everybody. Let me know what you think of them. Um, all right. Nice. Hey, what else you got for us tonight?
1: I have the history, herp history, a moment in herp history.
0: Let's hear it.
1: All right. Oh, I think it may have been the first history we did. There was the Sandusky Sea Serpent. I don't know if you remember that in Ohio.
0: Um, rings a bell. Yeah, what's that? What's uh, up with that?
1: No, I, I found an article that talks on July twenty third, nineteen thirty one. This article says that Python planted as carnival stunt. So that Python was planted. 18-foot pythons grew in Lake Erie only when they are planted. Authorities said today after Clifford Wilson, which is one of the guys that claimed to have captured the sea serpent, they found out that he was identified as a carnival exhibitor. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, so it was planted. July 23,
0: 1931. How about that? Wow, there you go. Snakes have been used for all kinds of publicity stunts even to this yeah. day. And and people that uh you know are reporting on these huge huge snakes never get the species right or they always get something wrong about it. But uh yeah, that's it's, it's interesting.
1: It's, it's funny on the old stories they they never tell you a species. You notice that? They're just pythons.
0: Just pythons, right. Yeah, right.
1: back then you know, they didn't didn't list what they are. They're all the same thing, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? That's crazy. So, what's going on in your collection? How you doing over
1: there? Uh, pretty good. I'm starting to collect a lot of eggs now. Oh
0: yeah, so I'm, me too. I'm real How's happy
1: about that. I ball python. How many eggs you
0: got cooking?
1: Uh I gotta have probably over ten clutches, anyways. Oh I've wow! Got nice. Leopard geckos, millies, and gargoyles all right now. So, all all different clutches. That's,
0: that's cool. And you have a you have some experience uh with gargoyles. What do you think of them overall?
1: I like them. I they're just I I don't know. I don't know. They just look different. Um they're so easy to care for. You know, because mm-hmm. their temperatures, you know, you don't you don't need you need a, you know, a heat source for them. Feeding-wise, you know, it's a fruit mixture, and occasional, I, I feed mine dubias, you know, occasionally, mm-hmm. probably once a week I'll give them a couple of dubias. Um, incubating, room temperature. I mean, they are so simple. They're uh, wow. From what, I, what I've heard, they're a lot like crested. so if anybody's listening they has cresteds they're a lot like them. But, yeah, mm-hmm. they seem, you know, they're so easy to take care of. And and they're fearless, too, because they just, they just like to leap <laughs> into nowhere. <laughs> you know, they just go.
0: Yeah, the Cresties do that, yeah. too, quite a bit, too. They just jump whenever they feel like it. <laughs> yeah,
1: and their eyes are amazing. just Oh, know, look, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they are just amazing. Yeah, That's I, I cool. love
0: them. Awesome. All right, well. Uh, Steve, why don't you give out your information? Thank you for reporting on the news. And uh, uh, I think the news segment went good. We, we got the important stuff out. Yeah. And, and I also want to put it out to everybody. If you find a story that you think is worthy of making it on the air, you can certainly PM me uh, on the Gecko Nation Radio Facebook page or at geckoNationRadio at gmail.com. And uh, I'll make sure that Steve gets it. So uh, Steve, where can they find you? Bud?
1: Check me out on YouTube and Facebook under BC Barker Creations. And I'm back online. It's been a little while. so. <laughs> cool. cool. <I'm> back back <laughs> online.
0: <laughs> awesome. All right. Hope to see some new YouTube videos from you soon.
1: Yeah. Give me a little time. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Get yourself settled.
1: All right. Thanks.
0: All right, Steve. See you next week. Thanks for reporting. Thank you. All right, wow, the chat room's filling up fast. Let's see who we got. We got a bunch of guests. We have Amanda, Wayne there. We have Brooke. We have Elsa. We have Marcy from MS2. We have Rachel, Sean from Heavy Duty Reptiles. We have Ty Malave. We have T. Bradford, and Vogelsang. All right, everybody. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play the sponsor plug. Our sponsors are just the best. They're so cool. Check them out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Ron Tremper is the biggest contributor to leopard gecko morph making, known worldwide for his amazing examples of living art. You can now download his Leopard Gecko Care app his morph encyclopedia app called Leopard Gecko Pro and visit his site lepergecko.com to see where morphs are made giantleopardgecko.com specializes in giant and supergiant leopard geckos with a focus on selectively bred exceptional lines of many different morph combinations including high end African fat tails and crested geckos with over 17 years of experience in herpeticulture, Keith Kiggins brings you quality integrity and value Check out giantleopardgecko.com on the web and on Facebook. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or... It can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. ABDragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, ABDragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They're also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out ABDragons.com online and on Facebook. That's right, everybody. I'd like to also remind you guys that we have currently three can use that are for all our Gecko Nation radio listeners and fans. Number one, AV Dragons, 5% off your order. Use the word Gecko all in caps, at checkout. That's good for your Duvia and FlexLab. Rainbow Mealworms, the, go, the code is GECCO Nation. You're going to get 30% off. That's right, 30% off your Mealworms and Superworms. All right, and it's good just to the end of this month, and it's good for two orders. So you've got a few more days left, to so take advantage. And last but not least, Reptiles Express. Use the code Nation 10 for 10% off. And uh, that's good for a couple orders, too. And that's that's going to be done at the end of this month, I believe. So, um, uh, Or actually, no, I think it's good forever, but it's only good for two orders. So you can use it whenever you like. All right. Um, and that's it for the promo codes, everyone. Now, if you guys are hooked on geckos like me and you're pretty much obsessed with them, like, Everybody listening to this show, and like most of the guests that come on here, you're totally going to want to find a place to connect with everybody else. Place, you know Facebook is great for that, but there is another place that is just going strong for since 2006, I believe Check this out. Did you know that since 2006 there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leper gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums time Radio is my inspiration for GNR. Justin and J.D. do a terrific show every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern and have an amazing archive of shows available for download. Visit them at blogtalkradio.com slash Herpentime and on Facebook. All right, folks. Um, you know, I like Crested Geckos. I just recently got a few. And, you know, whenever I see... Uh, another species that I just don't work with, that I see others really enjoying. You know, of course the wheels start turning in my head, right? And uh, it's starting to happen with gargoyle geckos now, and it's, it's part of, you know, the issue when you really love geckos. You, you just can't ever have enough species. But uh, tonight, we're going to focus all on gargoyles, and we have Paul Morlock from Rackhouse. Now, Rackhouse is a husband and wife team that has over 20 years' experience in reptile husbandry and uh, just amazing, amazing lines of gargoyle geckos. So we're going to go ahead and bring on Paul Morlock. Paul, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio.
3: Hey, David. How are you doing?
0: Good, good. Thanks for coming on and speaking with us tonight, Paul. I'm really excited about uh, picking your brain about these gargoyles.
3: Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why, with, you know, Let's start at the beginning so people uh, can get a feel for who you are and how you got started. Uh, what is uh Rack House and and what began your interest in, in geckos and gargoyles in particular?
3: Um well my interest in the Rackidaclas as a whole started I guess um early two thousand, um, sometime around there. Um I I did used to work for Sandfire Dragon Ranch and at that time uh Alan Rapeshi was uh part of Sandfire so um pretty good exposure to some of the Rackodacles and Immediately, um, I heard you mentioned you guys mentioned the eyes uh, on the gargoyles, and
2: uh, yeah. yeah, that
3: was that was definitely one of the things that that hooked me on them first. I did. Wow. Uh,
0: yeah.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to mention. Um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I used to buy all of Felipe uh, devis Jolie. I, I hope I pronounced his last name right. Um, all his books, the General Care and Maintenance series. And, of course, there was the one book uh, about bearded dragons. And, you know, there, and there was other uh, articles and stuff always mentioning sandfire dragon rants. And, and those, you know, Robert malo is that how you pronounce his last name?
3: Uh, Mayu.
0: Okay. Um, he was the first one to really bring out the red in the dragons. Isn't that correct? Yes. yes
3: wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he was definitely a bearded dragon pioneer.
0: Yeah. I, I used to really look at the... Uh, you know, those pictures in all when I was younger. And to hear that you, I didn't know that you worked uh, there. That must have been a great experience, I'm guessing.
3: Well, I, I didn't work at the ranch. I, I did, uh, I just worked for the ranch. I did most of the East Coast sales. Um, I started okay. out actually just as a representative, um, selling my animals and selling uh, Sandfire's animals at the same time. Uh, and then later on became the uh, uh, retail sales rep for, uh, for all of Sandfire. Um, and did that for a couple of years too. Interesting. Very cool. Okay.
0: And that, what made you decide to to branch off and and, and focus uh, solely or primarily on the gargoyles?
3: Well, um, I enjoy keeping a lot of animals. Uh, always have, like a lot of keepers. Um, and generally keeping a lot of species, um, but I do like to uh, I like to focus. Uh, on one particular animal and and try to learn as much as I can about that animal, watch the animal, its behaviors, um, you know, see what I can learn from the animal itself. Um, And especially the last, I guess, 10, 10, 12 years or so, the popularity of the Crested has just exploded. And um, ever since the Cresteds first came out, I've always kind of wondered why the Gargoyles weren't right behind the Cresteds in popularity. Um, they're just as as good of a, a gecko, and 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 even better in in a lot of ways. Um, I guess back then though the gargoyle's didn't quite have the colors to compete with the crested, um, unlike what we're seeing now, of course.
0: I tell you, whenever I whenever I walk by your table at the shows, um, <laughs> I can't help but look,
3: and you know
0: I I notice primarily when I go by your table, I notice really bright whitish colored ones and then I of course I noticed the red stripes and the bright red and um, yeah you know, what did it take to to get these colors and um, in the in nature they're they're not those bright colors I'm assuming the ones I've seen are very dark and uh, what can you tell us a little bit about the morphs uh, that we have today and how they got to where they are
3: well uh, as far as it, it's hard to assign morphs to gargoyles, uh, just as a species as a whole, they're, they're so polymorphic. Um, mm-hmm. Even even after several generations of breeding for specific traits, um, you, you have a better idea of what you're going to get, but there's no 100% way of predicting what you're going to get out of them. Um, mm-hmm. All the traits that we like to see, uh, the base color, the stripes, um, the different patterns, a, a lot of those are uh, as far as let me rewind a little bit. As far as morphs go, I would basically say there's really only three at this point. Um, you have the striped version, a reticulated version, and a banded version. Um, okay. And this is this is just talking the pattern and and not the color in, in any way. Those are two separate traits completely. Um, okay. So as far as pattern goes, you've got the three basic patterns, but um, you've got thousands of variations of each one of those patterns within that category. Um, And then now we're even seeing, I see in quite a few of my animals, mixing of those patterns, um, which in some of them has really turned out pretty neat. The color, um, especially the the pattern color, like when you you said you came by the table and you see them white with the reds, um, those bright reds that you're seeing, that's the pattern color, and that's a completely independent trait of the pattern that the animal shows and it's an independent trait of the base color um, that the animal may, may display as well. So there's, when it comes to pattern and color, there's actually three completely, at least three separate traits that you're dealing with, which really uh, throws in, you know, your predictability kind of out the window sometimes. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. And that, you know, I equate that in my mind to, you know, being them being in nature uh, they 've done so much interbreeding so that these geckos probably have all these different genes in them, so as far as you know trying to line breed you 're actually trying to deconstruct rather than uh construct these lineages I mean, do I have a good feel on it well you know
3: to to be quite honest with you um i i can 't speak to line breeding i've i 've only gotten i 've only had one group that i 've done line breeding in i I hatched a couple of animals that appeared to be melanistic um you know whether they actually are or not. You know I, I don't know, um, but that's so far. Those are the only animals that I've I've line bred. Um, when I started Rackhouse, I really tried to um, get animals and pair um pair animals together that didn't look anything alike. Um, for a couple of reasons: one, to expand, hopefully expand uh, my gene pool, and two, because of of the natural variation that exists in the animals. Um, I kind of thought that that was probably one of the quickest ways to, to find something different or 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 unique or just, you know, amazing looking nonetheless.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, when it, with the crested geckos, I know that um, it's very similar. Where, you know, you could breed two like crested geckos together and get something completely uh, unexpected or uh, different from the offspring, and then sometimes you can get exactly what you're shooting for. And uh, I'm wondering, like, what what's actually going on with the genetics? Because from my perspective, Paul, I'm a leopard gecko guy, and our genes are a lot more predictable as far yes. as the outcomes. You know, so it's it, they kind of really, the leopard geckos really make it so easy for us. But, um, you know, with, with these cresties and the guards, it's it's a little different. And I'm trying to figure it out, like, like how it actually works. And, yeah, I understand that these are not morphs. Um, if they're not even line-bridge traits, then what exactly is going on
3: with the genes? You, you know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I keep pretty good records on my animals, uh, and and I don't see any definite patterns. Um, hmm. what, what it seems to me is that a lot of the traits are passed on, um, or how well they're passed on and how often they're passed on, um, seems to depend on how many times that trait has been in that line in the past. Um, so, like, just say stripes, for, for instance. A particular animal, um, the percentage of stripes that he passes on seems to be dependent on how many ancestors, how many mothers, fathers, grandparents, whatever, were striped animals. Um, not necessarily, it's not a recessive trait. If you put two striped animals together, um, you will probably get mostly striped animals, um, but you're not going to get all striped animals. I have yet to find an animal, a, a pair of animals, where I could put two stripes together and get 100% stripes. Um, the closest I've had is I've had one particular male that seems that his genes in particular, just for that particular animal, um, seems to be really dominant, and it doesn't matter what I breed him with. Uh, the babies tend to be striped, um, and they tend to look like him versus versus the mother. Um but then you have the reticulated patterns. Um you breed two reticulated patterns and most often you're gonna get reticulated pattern, but that doesn't mean that you won't get stripes or you won't get bandits. Um particular bandids. I think the bandids and the reticulated pattern are, are very closely related.
0: Wow. This is I think fascinating.
3: Some, yeah, it's 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 real I mean I think to me that's one of the the cool things about them. It's not as predictable as being able to say, well, I'm going to put these two together and um, I'm going to get X amount of babies that look like this. Um, Depends on the the genes to that particular animal. Uh, You may only see your goal one in 12 babies. uh, You may see it every single baby. Um, A lot of that has to do with, um, you know, like I said, the genes of the animal, the history and the the, mm-hmm. the grandparents and the parents and what those animals look like. Definitely, though, one of okay. the cool things about these guys, I think, is the pattern color seems to increase um, fairly easy with most animals. You know, if you put two, two animals together with a fair amount of pattern color to them, then most of the babies are going to have um, probably at least as much as the parents, if not more.
0: Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's at least good to know. So, um, wow, I guess, what do you think? What do you think, another five, ten years to to totally figure these guys out?
3: Um, you know, I think it depends on how many people get into it and start keeping, you know, really tight records on them. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that's been written in the past, um, from, from my observations and my notes, um, I don't I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that's been written in the past and of course you know that's part of the hobby you know as time goes on we learn more and 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 things become you know more accurate uh, I think we're going to start seeing some of the evolution for these guys and and see better care hopefully um, longer lived animals bigger animals overall um, see have people have people have better success in breeding them as well. I do hear from a lot of people that that they find uh, or they hear that gargoyles are complicated to breed, and I think they're just as easy as crested.
4: Well, that's what
0: I've heard. I've heard they're just very easy. And um, well, why don't we why, why don't you tell us a little bit about where they come from, and uh, maybe that can give us a better perspective of of um, you know what we're dealing with as far as uh, you know some of the aspects of them.
3: Well, originally. Uh, some of the writings said that they were they were really only found in the the southern third of uh grantiere um but from from some of the reports now I, I i understand that they're actually found um to the extreme north and and probably I, I would imagine if people really start looking for them they're probably found um through most of the island you know any any of the suitable, suitable scrub uh areas that have some open areas uh for basking and stuff like that. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, from what I understand, um, they're they're not uh, not easily found. Um, despite the fact that they do kind of spend a lot of time out in the open, even in captivity, you see them basking quite often. Um, apparently, I guess they're they're somewhat difficult to see on, on a regular basis.
0: Hmm. Now, the climate where they're from, um, what, what's the temperatures like in nature there?
3: Uh that's like uh your average household temperatures um mid seventies um, mid seventies okay yeah, they do get some humidity uh in the the rainy season um and then it dries out in the dry season um, but we can actually you know in captivity it's um i think they're they're a, a hardy enough gecko that you don't have to necessarily mimic um the natural environment to its feed um they're pretty pretty resilient as long as you uh, keep your humidity up and and keep those temperatures like right in the mid, you know, 70s to to lower 80s.
5: Okay. Well, that's what I want to
0: talk about now. Now, for somebody out there that's um, just getting into gargoyles, now I I know a lot of friends. I know Marcy from ms 2 just picked up a bunch from you, and a lot of people are getting really excited about gargoyle geckos. Um, And we spoke earlier, Paul, and I'd like to make this show – uh, the go-to episode for people that are mm-hmm. new to gargoyle geckos. So basically, you guys can listen to this episode and get a lot of valuable beginner knowledge. So, Paul, let's talk about how the best way to, to keep uh, these, the husbandry uh, methods to keep these properly. What, what does uh, what do you need to keep a, a gargoyle gecko?
3: Well, uh, you know they're super simple. Um, like we already talked about, household room temperature, uh, normal household temperatures in most cases um, will, will suffice. Um, basically you're looking for anything from 74 to 76, but their, their whole range is, uh, for summertime temperatures would be anything from 70 to up to 81, 82, um, even 83 degrees. Um, I've had some of my animals basking at almost 90. Uh, so I, I don't think that, um, you know, anything near 80 is going to overheat them. Um, Humidity-wise, 50% or better is, is what I like to recommend. I, I, anything less than 50%, um, you start to see some shedding issues. Um, and they, they one of the things that I notice most often if you're below 50% is they get, uh, I call it lip curl. Um, I don't know what it actually is, but uh, to me it seems like the lips dry out or the gums dry out, and they get these little sores. Um, so if you happen to see those in your animals, um, uh, take your humidity into consideration. Um, you might be a little low on the average. Um, other than that, it's good hiding places, climbing places. Um, a, a vertically uh, oriented cage is, is best. Um, and one thing that's cool about the Rackadaclus that um, they really don't require big cages. Um, and in fact, most of them, and especially the gargoyles, seem to do better. In, in a smaller setup that's well planted and well furnished, uh, they don't like line of sight, so if you put lots of branches and I like to recommend cork bark, I think cork bark is probably uh, a gargoyle's best friend as far as the furniture can go. Um, mm-hmm. No lighting's required. they're nocturnal animals, so you know we don't need any UVA, UVB or anything like that. Diet is really simple. Um, there's several of the uh, fruit-based powder. Uh, diets out there that are uh, available at pet stores and, and reptile expos and stuff like that. And for gargoyles, that really does make up the bulk of the diet. Um, you know, bugs are definitely a part of the diet as well, but a lot of gargoyles seem to be picky. Um, sometimes they like them, sometimes they don't.
5: What would they eat in nature?
3: You know, um... The best that I can, at least what I find from from my observations, um, I I would have to assume that the large part of their diet in nature is probably other geckos. Um, they even even some of my better feeders tend not to really go crazy for bugs. Um, not like the, the crested or the chihuahua, or or any of those guys. I mean, they, those will just down bugs as soon as they see them. Um, Gargoyles, on the other hand, as a whole, tend to be kind of, you know, maybe, maybe not, hit or miss a lot of times. Um, However, I did try a little experiment with a small group and um, offering them feeder geckos uh, just to see if I would find a difference in the growth and the behavior and, you know, so on and so forth. And I can tell you the feeding response was incredibly different. Um, Yeah, they definitely like geckos.
0: (laughs) All right. So they, you think they'd be cannibalistic? They would eat their own kind, too?
3: Well, not necessarily cannibalistic, um, although, you know, I can't speak for that 100%. Um, but like a lot of breeders, you know, I, I do get eggs or that, that full babies, you know, they may go full term and not hatch, or, you know, they pip the egg and, and for whatever reason don't make it out of the egg, and they drown and they die. Um, rather than waste, you know, that's that's a good protein, so... You know, as long as I catch it early and it's not gone bad or something, I, I do try to feed those off to to adult animals. I, I don't want to waste you know, that's that's good energy. Um mm-hmm. I can tell you from experience I've tried that with gargoyles and they will not eat their own. Um whether that actually hap- happens in the wild or, you know, maybe it has to be alive and moving. Um, you know, that could be a possibility as well. But I can tell you they they my adults will not eat any babies that have ever been offered.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, I didn't know that they would eat other other geckos, other lizards. That's that is interesting. Um, so, so that's giving them this fruit-based uh, uh, powder diet and mixing it. You know, but let's let's talk a little bit about that. What what exactly okay. is this commercial diet that that we have available? And you it's, you could feel free to mention some some uh, some names of it. Too. That's, that's okay. Um, you know, I think there's Rapashi and a few other ones now. Uh, right. What, what makes them up? What's, what's that all about for? Um,
3: most of them are a fruit based diet. Um, a lot of them have bee pollen in them, um, as a base. Um, so far to be quite honest with you, I, I found all of them to be fairly good. Um, they're, they sustain the animals just fine. These, these are omnivores, so they get plenty of vitamins and, and, most of the, the commercial diets out there, um, if you're not looking to breed, I think uh, I think will sustain a gecko for uh, and keep a nice, happy, healthy gecko for quite a while. Um, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't want to uh, say one, recommend necessarily one brand over the other. I personally, I use the Pangea. Um, the feeding response that I've noticed with the Pangea is absolutely incredible. Um, even mm-hmm. with my own homemade diets, um, they they didn't take my homemade diets like they take the Pangea.
0: Interesting. Okay. And basically, it comes in a powdered form, and you yes. you add water to it, uh, and, and you make it into what kind of a consistency? Uh,
3: you know, I like to do it kind of like a baby food. I, I go a little bit thicker, um, but I do find some of the animals have a preference. Um, some of them seem to like it a little bit thicker, and some of them seem to like it a little bit thinner. Um I try to me personally I try to avoid the thinner side, um basically just because the way I see it is the more water you add into it, you you know if they're 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 eating more water than than diet if you're making it thinner um, so yeah. in order to get get everything that's in the diet, all the good stuff into them, um I like to make it a little bit thicker um you know it will run you you use a little bit more diet that way in the long run, but um I think in the animals it, it does make a difference.
0: Okay, well, um, I have some questions here, and I was, I, I noticed that when I feed them uh, the powdered diet, I, I do, just like you say, I make it into a little bit thicker paste, like a little thicker baby food, but I notice there's a lot of waste. They don't eat it all, and, you know, by the next yeah. day, some of it's dried up. Are there any tricks to, um, Well, I guess, conserve food?
3: Yeah, make less of it. Um, you know, make that that there. is okay. that is that is something that I run into a lot, especially with first-time keepers, um, or first time keepers that that get a small a young animal um, you know these compared to a lot of a lot of geckos, these guys really do grow rather slowly um and they 're not huge eaters they they don 't eat a ton of food um, on the average, I would say most animals eat maybe twice a week um you know some of your better feeders will probably eat three times a week, um but on average, the amount of food that they 're eating too is is very small. Um, I always just use to give people an idea. If, if you can imagine the size of their mouth, um, as the size of their stomach, um, and that's, you know, about what they would eat if that, you know, maybe half of that. Um, so for a small animal, a lot of times it can be tough. Um, you may not see any of the food missing out of your, your little food dish. Um, I do mix, uh, for, for my babies, I put, um, I don't know, maybe uh, it's probably a half a gram worth of food in there. I mean, it's a fairly small amount. But you change it every couple days, and that way you have fresh food available almost all the time, 24-7.
0: Okay, so you never want to have them run out of food then, is that what you're saying?
3: For my smaller animals, no, I don't. I I try to make food available all the time. Okay. Okay, well, that's that's good. Um,
5: Now, what about... Once
3: they get a... I'm sorry, go
0: no, no. Go ahead, Paul. That's, um, you go. Go ahead.
3: I was gonna say once they get a little bit older, um, they eat more quantity, you know, at at one sitting, but they may eat a little bit less in frequency. Mm.
2: But then okay. again, that all depends.
3: That all depends on the individual animals because I have I have a few animals that would blow that theory completely out the window. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: They said they they prefer smaller enclosures, and <clears throat> I can kind of resonate with that because. It's, you know, when they're in a smaller environment, they, they feel less stressed because they feel more yeah. secure. Um, now, if somebody wants to go out and buy their first cage for, for, a, for a gargoyle, would you recommend, like, a 5-gallon tank, a 10-gallon tank, or a, um, a Sterilite tub, for instance? Uh, does it matter as far as uh, what type you use and what
3: size? Uh, yeah, it kind of, it does. It it really depends on the environment of the room that you would be setting the animal up in. And it also, it also depends on, um, the size of the animal. Um, it depends on what you're looking for in an enclosure. Um, if you're looking for a display type enclosure or are you looking for an enclosure that's, um, that's simple, um, simple for you to maintain, but yet provides the animal with everything that it needs. Um, You know, there's a couple different directions to go. Um, The biggest considerations, I would say, are the size of the animal. Uh, For something that's under um, 15 grams, um, yeah, I'd say 10, 15 grams, um, you're looking at about 10 gallons, roughly. For a newborn animal, you're looking at no more than 8 gallons. Um, A lot of people keep keep them in critter keepers, um, things like that. Personally, I use the Sterilite tubs for my babies. Um, I like to have tubs that don't have screen tops because uh, that helps hold humidity significantly better than than an enclosure with a screen top.
0: Okay, I think. All right, so do I mean, you have holes in the, in the tubs? A lot of holes. Yeah.
3: Or? Yes. Yep um poke holes in the side of it um or just very much like you do uh racks for leopard geckos or or fat tails or you know any of the small snakes or anything like that um i try to avoid putting holes in the top um again because any any ventilation on the the, the top half of it will allow that humidity to escape with the heat as as the, the enclosure heats up during the day um so having the ventilation on the side helps helps hold that in for a more consistent um you know, humidity level throughout the day. A lot of the old literature always says to, you know, spray them and, and let them dry out um, during the day. And, and that's one of actually one of my um, disagreements on, on the regular keep. Um, spraying it, you have to do some, I mean, you're, the people have to remember why you're spraying it, not just to do it three times a day because a care sheet says three times a day. Um, gargoyles will drink out of a water dish um when you mix your diet you're mixing it with water so when they eat the diet they're getting quite a bit of moisture at the same time that they're eating the diet so spraying your enclosure in my opinion really should only be done to modify the humidity um you know your your goal is 50 percent or better so if you have to spray that's your only option especially like for a small animal and a critter keeper Um, you know, keeping the humidity up, spraying is probably about the only way you can do that. Um, but the downside to that is when you spray, you make the cage wet. Um, and you don't really want a wet cage. You want to increase the, uh, moisture in the air, not in the cage itself. Um, so I like to use live plants, a bigger water dish. Um, you know, if you're setting up a, a nice, bivarium um, type of thing you know you put soil in there that helps hold the humidity better um, then you don't have to spray as often for me I try to spray as little as possible
0: okay um, well now so they, they will pretty much lick the water off the sides of the tubs too if you do spray a little bit
3: yeah sure absolutely okay. absolutely Okay. Yeah, and as long as your water temperature isn't too far off a of room temperature um, you know they don't actually seem to mind being sprayed either um, however, if your water is a little bit colder than your room temperature, um, they're going to show you that they don't like it real quick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do they scream at you like leopard geckos?
3: Yeah, they, 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 uh, they arch their back and, you know, make a couple barks and squeeze, it, squeals at you and let you know that, um, that's not quite right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's great. Um, wow. Well, you know, I'm so used to that with the leopard geckos. You know, we spray them every once in a while and boy, they give you a- they give you a war yeah. cry that'll startle you sometimes.
2: <laughs> yes, sir. That's
0: funny. Um, now, with the diets, Paul, are these diets complete in also vitamins and minerals, or do you add a supplementation to that as well?
3: Uh, yeah, most of the diets out there now are complete diets. Um, the Pangea, um, that I use is a complete diet. However, I, I do add calcium to it. Um, kind of goes back to my theory with the gargoyles and on on in the wild possibly eating geckos for the most part that may be even a seasonal thing um you know but you you can't deny that the gargoyles have recurved teeth you know huge mouth um big eyes they're they're very visual um so it kind of makes sense that they're going for bigger prey um and if they are eating geckos on a regular basis then to me it would seem that their calcium intake is probably a little higher um than an animal that's not eating geckos. It's eating, you know, other invertebrates. Um, and I do see there to me, gargoyles do seem to have a higher calcium need. Um, I do supplement. I, I add calcium into my diet. Um, not at every feeding. Well, I would say every other feeding. And, and then even more depending on if, if an animal if I feel a particular animal needs it. Okay. Now,
0: with leopard geckos, them being nocturnal and uh, with the gargoyles being nocturnal. I, I wonder if you're going to ask you a question that we get a lot, is um, how necessary is vitamin D3? And my opinion is that in, I believe that the leopard geckos do essentially need D3, and I believe that, yes, they don't get sunlight, but they must be getting D3 from some source. Maybe it's their native food source. Uh, maybe it's little scorpions they eat have D3 somewhere in them. or that, you know they're getting it from somewhere, so they need it. Um, so that's why I give my, what is your opinion on this, the D3 conundrum and, uh, how does it affect Garnwell geckos?
3: You know, I'm a little old school on that, that, uh, on that, that opinion. Uh, I, I use calcium D3 for everything that I do. Um, mm-hmm. if you go back and you read, uh, Alan Rapashi's study on his diet, when, when he was doing some of his papers on it, um, he did studies on the calcium and D3 levels, um, had several groups that he varied the calcium and D3 levels that they were getting. And the the one part about that paper, I, I wish I, I had it in front of me. I, I don't remember what it was called or where to find it at this point. But um, one of the points that he had in the paper that was pretty striking was he had one of his groups that, that he, um, he gave, uh, if I remember, I think it was almost 10 times, um, you know, the normal accepted values of, of calcium. Um, and D three in their diet. And after an eight month period, I believe it was an eight month or six month period, um, the animals showed no ill effect, no differ you know, no um, no alternate effects than than the uh, group that was getting um the ideal amount of calcium. Um he ended up stopping that group because he didn't see uh a point in taking it further because he didn't see any adverse effects, but the huge thing that that tells me is that you really, in order to see a calcium overdose, or even a D3 overdose, I really believe that you have to be force-feeding that gecko nothing but calcium and D3 for weeks on end. Um, right. I, I, I don't think, if you're just dusting your your bugs with D3 every single time, and you have a, a calcium lick in there with D3, um, I really don't see overdosing being a possi- a possibility, um, I, I think it's a uh, pretty far reach to to get to that point. If you do, I, I think you probably have there's probably another problem with the gecko, um, other than than calcium intake. Okay,
0: and and you know I agree, and and I think it goes back to the theory also, or actually to the science that shows, um, you know these in humans at least with you know, that are, if you're taking vitamin D3 supplements, and no matter how many I use it says, you know, the human body really does not metabolize D vitamin D3 that way. I mean, it's it, vitamin D3 is meant to come from, you know, the sun. It's meant to come from right. light. And, uh, you know, very little gets absorbed when you're taking these, these uh, pills, these vitamin D3 pills. So if that has anything, any correlation with geckos, I mean, like you say, I mean, you really would have to be you know, giving them a ton of it for them to get sick from
3: it and, uh, well, you know, you know, I, com- compared to a lot of people, I think that, um, my, my colony as a whole, um, does get a lot of, cal- I mean, I dust, ev- I dust everything with calcium. Um, all of my breeders have, have, um, calcium licks with D3, calcium with D3 in their cage. Um, and I've seen multiple, I've seen many of them using it. Um, when I get animals that, uh, you know, it's it's not uncommon to get gargloves, especially if they hatch sometimes a little on the small side, to have some bands or kinks in their tail. Um, the one thing that I found consistently over and over again that fixes it wonderfully is uh, a little cocktail I came up with, liquid calcium mixed with uh, RepCal D3. Um, I mix it into a, a kind of a... A semi-thick paste um, enough to go into a needleless syringe and I offer a few drops a day to you know the gecko that uh, that's in need and I've mm-hmm. fixed some pretty amazing things with it and that would tell me you're saying that, um, you're, you're saying that
0: you can get the kinks out of the tail they can fix. oh yeah absolutely
3: it's mm-hmm. yeah uh, it, absolutely if, if they're if if they're just waves now i would i would describe it in two different ways there's kinks and there's waves um okay. if you get a wavy tail that actually can be 100% re- reversed no doubt about it hmm. um if you get kinks in the tail depending on how severe it is and the age of the animal um you might not be able to get rid of it completely but you can definitely stop it from getting worse
0: okay that's 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 fascinating actually cuz Um, actually I just picked up a few crested geckos and, um, the girl that I got them from said two of them had some, some, uh, kinks in their tail, but I couldn't really notice the kinks and they're very, they're like you just said, they're more or less waves. And, um, you know, I just, I took them off her hands because I'm trying to, to get some experience with crested. I'm wondering if that trick will work with the crested geckos. What do you think?
3: I think it would. Absolutely. Um, provided that's, that's the problem, um,
1: you know, you may not
3: actually have, have that problem. A lot of times if they're, you know, they're, their tails are prehensile. So if they're really relying on their tail to grip onto something, you know, um, mm-hmm. the just the muscles in the tail can make it look kind of wavy. Um, and that would kind of explain how you said, you know, once you picked them up or whatever, you didn't, didn't really see it too much. Um, if you see when the, the gecko is completely relaxed and it's not trying to hold onto something with its tail – and you see a few waves in there, then I would definitely consider a, a calcium supplement to it, yeah.
2: Okay. You know, I've, well, I've, heard, some,
3: to... I've heard some argue against it because uh, with with the argument of, well, a calcium overdose um, displays the same symptoms as MD, MBD, um, which is probably true. Uh, I'd be quite honest with you. I've never seen a calcium overdose, and to be quite honest with you, I – have looked on the internet and I don't know maybe some of our listeners can chime in and, and educate me a little bit but um I I don't know of any actual cases of a calcium or a D3 overdose um in geckos or, or any reptiles for that matter um mm-hmm. there's a couple cases I think on the internet but they're uh they're iguanas um and that I don't think especially when you consider the the diet that's given to most iguanas I don't think um I don't think that's really a relevant case to compare. Yeah. It's
0: a whole different ball game. And I, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like been, it's one of those, we need like the myth crew to come in and bust this whole D3 calcium conundrum. We got to deal with, because it's kind of like a, a myth that gets circulated usually, um, by newer hobbyists and, you know, that don't really have a full grasp on the history and stuff. And they hear this calcium D3 thing and run with it. But, uh, well, hopefully, you know, with shows like this, we can kind of dispel some of these uh, myths. Um, but, well, you know what, Paul? We're at the halfway mark here, and uh, we're right. going to go ahead and play play the second sponsor plug. And uh, when we come back, I want to talk to you about breeding and um, and incubation and all that stuff. Okay. So um, this will also be the time for you guys listening. This will be your time to call in with your questions. Uh, the call-in number is 646 5331. And one of you lucky callers is going to win an actual gargoyle gecko. So that's really generous of you, Paul. Thank you.
3: No uh, problem. Thank you.
0: Cool. We'll be right back, folks. Hang tight. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at Expos in the Northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforums.net. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoo Med, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much much more and all at 20 to 50 percent cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They're also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. Okay, everybody, we are back, and I want to, uh, at this time, remind everyone, that uh, our sponsors, three of our sponsors are currently running promotions. Uh, number one, abdragons.com. Use the word gecko, all in caps at checkout for 5% off your FlexWide heat tape and uh roaches. Rainbow Mealworms uh, is giving 30% off, folks. Uh, it's good for two of your orders. It's only good to the end of this month. Hurry up. I've only got four days. Uh, 30% off your mealworms and superworms. The code is Nation, all in caps. And last but not least, Reptiles Express is giving 10% off uh, two of your orders, and the code is NATION 10 all in caps. All right, take advantage. These are great sponsors and doing great things for the community, and uh, it's just 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 awesome of them to, to extend these promotions to us. Um, all right, folks, this is the second half of the show. This is your chance to call in with your questions. Uh, one of you lucky callers is going to win Gargoyle Gecko from Paul. Um, I also want mm-hmm. to let everybody know that uh, there is one more sponsorship uh, spot available for the show. So if you're a business or a breeder that'd like to get your name out there and reach a lot of people, email me at gecko radio at gmail.com. Um, it's going to be a first-come, 1st first serve thing. You can also contact me on Facebook also, and um, I'm going to review the uh, people applying, and uh, just want to let you guys know about that, too. All right, Paul. Uh, before we talk about the breeding and stuff. I think, uh, I think it's important that, uh, you know, in your, your about section, you, you mention right away that uh, you are a husband and wife team, and um, rarely do people, you know, you know, talk too much about their other halves, and I think you're really lucky that you have someone that uh, helps you with that. You want to g- give your wife a little bit of props here and uh, give her an honorable mention? Tell us uh, about what she does with the reptiles.
3: Well, to be honest with you, she's more of a silent partner. Um, You know, I I do most of the work. She comes to the shows, and she definitely uh, puts in and and helps sell the animals, and she knows knows her stuff too. Um, But definitely without her, I would not be able to do this. Um, She absolutely makes all of this possible for me. Um, She is my backup when I need it, and um, she's – my offense when I need it as well. Um, yeah, without her, I could not do this at all.
0: Okay. Is there any special place to find women like that? Because I need to find one to
3: help me. You know, um, <laughs> I think you, you just have to get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, know. A you lot know, of
0: times just... I, meet, I meet girls and I tell them about the geckos and stuff, and they're like, oh, my God, their eyes like go wide. And I'm like, oh, here we go, you know?
3: Just to brag a little more, you know, I didn't even have to uh put up a fight to bring Rochu when I when I started my doobie colony. Um I didn't get any wow. any flack for that at all and you know, most people <laughs> would probably have to go through hell and high water to, to get that done. <laughs>
0: I guess that's the stories that I usually hear, absolutely. Wow. That's, that's good for you. Uh, that's great. All right, folks, so we got the we got the phone line is packed, of course. We got a lot of calls. Um we're gonna. I'm gonna start by taking the people that have been on the longest. So uh, before we get into the actual breeding part of the show, let's take a few calls. All right. All right. Caller from, let's see. Caller from the 803 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio.
6: Hey David. Um, this is Dylan. I hope you guys hey, are having Dylan, a good night. Uh, hey Dylan, uh, How I are you was doing? asking. Um, I, I have a question for him. Uh, what is your hey, name, by the way? I got it already. <laughs> Paul. Paul. Okay. Um, and I was going to talk about breeding before you even mentioned it, because um, I'm really interested in gargoyles and stuff. Because I own like three cresteds right now, and um, mm-hmm. they're they're pretty cool. And um, I was just going to say, in, like, five steps. How would you explain breeding and caring for in the best way possible in a breeding setup for gargoyles, cresteds, and all the ratatouilles
1: for that matter
3: um five steps yeah i guess i would say um probably the most important, beyond picking your animals um mm-hmm. gar- for me i i don't find that there's an issue in in pairing up animals um i think the key when you put them together and the, the main thing whether you do a pair or you do 1.3 or 1.7 whatever you do is yeah. um when you set up the cage um, make sure there's plenty of hiding and out of line sight. Um, those out of, out of, sorry, out of sight line hiding. Um, that's probably the single most important thing. Um, what I see when it comes to breeding, um, a lot of people tend to see a lot of read that gargoyles fight and you get conflicts and one gets beat up over another. Um, what I've noticed is it comes down to timing. Um, Gargoyles, once they start to ovulate, once the females start to ovulate, it seems like an automatic cycle. Whereas, like some of the leopard geckos and some of the other geckos I've bred, they they need to have the male and they need to have the, to be bred in order to start to produce eggs. Um, gargoyles seem to be triggered by a, a, some other source. Maybe it's pheromones, um, you know, yeah. because the males in the room. Um, but I do have. I think light cycle plays a huge role on it. What I've noticed in my animals, if I introduce the animals after the winter solstice, when the days start to get longer, um, is and that's the point where I start to see my animals begin to ovulate. Um, I see more conflicts than if I introduce them before that point. Um, a lot of a lot of breeders uh, of crested geckos and and the gargoyles and some of the other acadaclos like to put their you know go through the winter cooling and put their animals together in February, March, and sometimes even April. Um, For me, what I've noticed is my animals are already ovulating at that point. So if you put a male in with a female, gestation is a 30 day period. So if you put a a male in with a female that is at some point in her ovulation, some point in, in making those eggs, she's not going to allow the male to breed. The male's sole purpose is to breed, so he's going to keep on trying and keep on trying. And I've also um,
1: noticed that with
6: leopard geckos, too. Like, if the yeah, female's producing eggs, she'll completely deny the
3: male. Completely ignore them. Um, and that's when it comes into – that's when how you have the cage furnished comes into play. Um, the more stuff that you have in there, the more um, obstacles that create out-of-sight line hiding, the easier it is for that female to get away and hide from that male which means it's less stress on her. Um, he may give up if she gets into a nice tight place and he can't quite reach her. Um, but mm. the more often he tries, the more likely you are to have an issue. Um, now, I've also noticed that in groups, um, when I pair t- single animals, I've noticed more conflicts with, sing- with single pairs than with, say, 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3, 4, 5. Um, and I believe really? that's because the male has other choices. You know, if one says no, he goes to the next one. So he's not kinda constantly, you know, going yeah, after one. You know. animal. Yeah. And and the other thing I would say probably that's that's very important when breeding, um, is any actually it's really any time you put more than one animal together is multiple food dishes and multiple water dishes. I think you, you cover cover those few things and you're you're not gonna have any problems whatsoever.
0: <laughs> okay, Thank you. cool. Thanks. For, thanks for calling in, Dylan. All
3: right. You have a good one, David. You too, Paul. All right. Later. Thank you. Thank you, Dylan.
0: Hey, Paul. Just a quick uh, uh, question about your name. Um, do you know the the time machine tie-in with your last name?
3: Oh, I do. Of course, I do.
0: Okay. You get that a lot, or
3: no? Uh, I've had that since I was about four years old. I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Have you embraced it, or is it something that aggravates you?
3: Yeah. No. You know what, man. Um, you know, I like to give people a hard time, um, and I can take it, so not a big deal.
0: <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, so, yeah, I, I actually think it's a really cool last name. For people that don't know, uh, Morlock yeah. uh, is the name of the, um, the, I guess they're in the movie The Time Machine, in H.G. Wells' book back from, I think it was in the early 1900s, um, that yes. was the uh, term used for, right, for, for a race of uh, people that lived underground in the story. Very interesting. Um, but that's, that's pretty cool. All right, let's go ahead and take the next caller. Caller from, the who's been on the longest year. Yeah. All right, caller from the 253 area code. I think I know this is. You are live on Geppinition Radio. Hi, This guys.
5: Hi, guys.
0: This is Hi Elsa. How are you?
5: Uh, I, b- before I ask a question, and I realize I'm echoing, yeah. I just want to say what a good guy that Paul is. Because Thank you. Because at the beginning of the year, I was freaking out about my crested geckos probably mating and wondering what to do with the eggs and everything. And I really was researching things on the internet, but I I think just the exchange I had with Paul was so helpful. And and I don't know he he calmed me down and focused me and helped me. Uh, realize, you know, what it was I really had to do, and in the end, I do a little more research and then got on Supreme Gecko and ordered some Supreme Hatch, and I've got, I have, I've had two eggs, but one was bad, but then, this is, this is the first time, so, well, I do want to thank Paul. I have never spent a cent with him yet, Yes. But I, I do want to thank Paul for taking the time from his busy schedule and helping out a new business. No problem
3: cool. at all. That's, that's uh, you know, I, because I had this as a business, you know, there's definitely the money side to it, you know, like any business. But I do this primarily because I love it. I, I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the whole world. I I get to do what I love to do, and um, hopefully, you know, that comes across, and anytime I can help somebody with whatever knowledge I have, um, yeah, I always do my best to do that.
0: Cool. Thank you, Elsa, for calling in. All right. Um, wow, yeah, that's, that is cool. You know, as a business, um, we could talk a little bit that, about that later. Actually, I'll save that question for later. All right, let's take one more call. Caller from the um, –
7: Let's see, it's been on a while. Oh, here we go.
0: Caller from the 646 area code.
7: You're live on Get the Nation Radio. Hello, guys. I have a question. What do you guys think about the hybrids among the Rachodactylus genus? I know a lot of people, you know, are against it. A lot of people love them. I kind of don't really have an opinion on them. I just ask because about a year ago I bought one, and it turned out to be a Crested Chewy hybrid.
3: Hmm, that's a touchy subject. (laughs) <laughs> Good question.
7: What's your name, caller? Oh, My name is Hector. I actually bought Hector, it as gecko. a crested gecko, and when I bred him to so two females, I actually produced cresteds without a crest, and I thought that was kind of weird. And when I showed it to my friend, he told me that kind of looks like one of my chewies. And, you know, that's kind of where the whole question came from.
3: That's interesting. That's a, you know, I'm, to be quite honest, I'm a little on the fence about it, you know. I've seen the animals, they're beautiful animals, and I can appreciate the beauty in them and um, all of that kind of stuff. But hearing your story, for me, is is all the evidence you need for why it shouldn't be done. Um, I'm probably going to catch a lot of heat for that. Um,
7: it's understandable. Uh-huh. Cause, I mean, I, that one was I, sort of a as a crested it wasn't sold as a hybrid and you know that's kind of what i see as the issue like it it bothers me that you know in the future that you know that some absolutely a lot of crested geckos aren't going to be pure crested and a lot of you know that goes for the rack the whole rachidactylist genus basically
3: well and and just thankfully you noticed a difference um what if they had come out looking more like a crested and you hadn't been in the wiser you know, um, then you would have sold your babies off and somebody else would have bred them and, you know, they would have re- maybe resembled Chihuahua more. Um, you know, one of the things that, I don't know if it's a golden rule or anything, but one of the kind of rules I've always gone by in, in my breeding experiences is generally animals can pull genes from seven generations back. They'll, You know, your offspring can displace um, any genes from seven generations back. So you may go six generations and they look like Crested, and then all of a sudden, bam, you get something that looks like a Jehua. And at that point, after six generations, who knows how many people, you know, that's been spread out to and are breeding mm-hmm. those and not knowing it. Um, you know, if there was a way that it could be contained, um, I think maybe that would be, that would be pretty cool. But we we already deal with somewhat limited populations, you know. All all of our animals started from from very small populations here in the U.S., um, and that that really that's a that's a big bomb, you know, for for serious breeders. That's a big bomb. Okay.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. No. no. I can see there's two sides to that equation. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of people that are strictly purists, and then there's some people that think the hybrids are cool. I mean, I guess, you know, if there's documentation and it's done the right way and you know what you have, I I guess, you know, they can be appealing to some people. But, yeah, when you're you're not aware of it, yeah, that's not cool. Well, yeah, and and
3: and therein lies the problem. I mean, even if one person documents and and takes care of it and and does everything 100%, um, you know, Mm -hmm. if that person made six or seven of them, are they going to keep that seven or eight of them or whatever forever? Do they pass them on to somebody as hybrids? And then does that person pass them on as hybrids? You know, I mean, how many times will it get passed on before people forget it's a hybrid? Or, you know, I just, yeah. um, it's they're beautiful and, and I admire them. You know, don't get me wrong, I, I do. But from from a breeder standpoint, it is, it, you can't revert. It's not something you can reverse. Once it's there, it's there forever.
7: Yep yeah yeah i got I got really lucky that I caught it on time i I only produced two eggs from that clutch and from from that one pairing to one of the females the other female refused to breed and you know i I've decided to hold those back and just keep them to live here because i just i don't i wouldn't be able to live with myself if i if I knew that you know these were out there and got into someone's hands that would breed them irresponsibly and yeah you know.
3: yeah yeah I think that's okay. a good call you know i I think they made great pets. Um, yeah. as long as they, they stay that way. Yeah.
7: Okay. All right. So, All right thank you. To, thank you for your opinion you. on that.
3: Thank you.
0: All right. All right. Well, that was an interesting topic. Yeah, I'm glad we, glad we brought that up. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and grab the next one that's been on the longest. Uh, let's see. It's like another 253 number. All right. Caller from the other 253 number, you are live on Get the Nation Radio.
5: Oh, that would be me again, but... Oh, uh, have, so, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, caller from the
0: 907, I think I know who this is. 907, you are live on Gepo Radio.
8: <laughs> hey there. This is Marcy. Hey.
3: Hey, Marcy. Marcy.
8: Roach Chow. roach Chow. roach cow. Roach cow. <laughs> 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 How are you fine gentlemen doing today? Very doing
2: good. very
8: well. Yourself? well. I just have to say that I'm in gargoyle heaven. Awesome. <laughs> I uh, acquired some uh, stellar gargoyles from Paul. Um, I'm in, just completely in love with them. Um, it took him a little bit to settle in, and I finally got to see one of the red gargoyles just fired up, and... My husband and I just stood there in awe, just looking at mm-hmm. this little gargoyle, going, "Wow, that looks like red velvet! My gosh, it was really, really <laughs> amazing." And um, wait till
3: he gets big. Uh,
8: I know. I'm just like, "Wow, this is impressive!" And, and so small yet, so I'm really excited. Um, I just wanted to uh, say to Paul that I have appreciated every. Uh, opportunity that you have given to share with me information to answer my questions,
1: Great. and
8: you've been outstanding to work with. Um, and I'm certain that this is uh, just with my uh, short interaction with the gargoyles. I think they're quite possibly becoming some of my favorites. <laughs>
7: um, Excellent.
8: I, lo- I love their I love their little hands. I don't know if anybody's talked about this, but they look like human little hands. They're just precious. And, I mean, that's kind of like the geeky girl side of me going, oh, my gosh, these <laughs> are hands. Um, but um, we got to hold uh, the one girl that I showed in the group chat um, for a little while, and she's very calm, and she just sat with us and sat with my husband and watched TV, and it was like, you know, my husband turned her and he was going to put her back in, in her uh, enclosure, and she, like, kept turning her head like, I'm watching TV. No, I'm going to sit with you. And it was mm-hmm. just, um, I- I'm completely smitten with the gargoyles. They're just amazing. And, um, you know, I love my cresteds. They're really derpy. But the gargoyles are just, like, something else to behold, and I can see why you have such a passion for them. I'm really yeah. glad that you're doing this episode.
3: Oh, cool. Thank you. Because yeah, I think un- that... Unlike some of the other geckos, man, they, they don't mind being held. You know, you'll, you'll watch, yeah. you'll, you'll find when you take them out, they, sometimes they protest a little bit, you know, when you're taking them out of the cage. But then the funniest mm-hmm. thing is, is, then they never want to be put back.
8: Yeah, that's what she was doing. And I was just like, oh, Lord, that's just too cute. Yeah. And... Um, it it's really um they're just so personable and you know i've let them get settled in and i can like just quickly see that these uh wonderful creatures are just going to be some of my absolute favorites i mean i'm never going to stop loving leos or you know the little you know crazy crack, crack crests <laughs> you know they're just hilarious you know to me they're i mean they're comical the crests are but the nature of gargoyles is just phenomenal. And, um, you know, I've looked at a lot of people's gargoyles and I've looked, you know, all over the place. And, you know, probably, I think I first contacted you, like, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, when I first started looking and I could not stop looking at your gargoyles. Mm-hmm. And and I, I made it a point that this is where I'm going to get my gargoyles from just because, you know, I can see the dedication and and time that you put into breeding beautiful animals. And a lot of the questions that I asked you um, made me really appreciate your ethics and values and how you breed your geckos. Your so um, I just wanted to let everyone know that that's, that's been my experience. And um I just can't rave enough about my recent my recent acquisitions and that uh, if you haven't bought a gargoyle, um you need to have one of Paul's and uh <laughs> David, you need like, you need a trio. Uh
0: next uh, next uh white plane show or hamburg show, I'm gonna spend a few minutes looking at what he's got, that's for sure. <laughs> So we need a trio, David. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, what's the point of getting just one or two, right?
2: Yeah. I yeah I
3: was, no, you can't. You, you
0: can't.
2: can't. You can't just. You know, you'll
3: you'll quickly find once you get one, just like potato chips. You 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 can't stop. Um, they they pull you in for sure. I know. Oh, that's
0: the that's the addiction we all have with these geckos.
3: We're all crazy
0: <laughs> for geckos. <laughs> Uh, that's cool. But well, I think oh, their personalities are
8: far different. Their personalities are far different than any other gecko that I've found. So that's one thing well, that I really wanted to share is that they're just so than other geckos
3: that I've found. You know, that that kind of goes back to what I was saying before. How I think they eat geckos in the wild. If you if you kind of think about it, if they're the top of the food chain. Um, you know, they're not worried about getting eaten as much as they're worrying about what's for dinner. Um, so they they don't have that fear, that fear drive. They're not, you know, they don't shy away from quick movements and, you know, things that they catch out of the corner of their eyes. And those are definitely some of the attributes that, that make them such an awesome gecko. They're very calm. And, you know, like you said, each one has its own personality. And they'll sit on your, your lap or on your shoulder for hours.
8: Yeah,
2: that's cool. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone takes a
8: minute to go look at Paul's available geckos and hopefully purchase some today because they're definitely worthwhile and Paul's stellar to work with.
3: Thank you, Marcy. You're awesome. Thank
8: you. Have a good night, gentlemen. Thanks, Marcy. Yeah, Paul,
0: I, I've been talking to Marcy, too, and she's been going on and on about your the guardrails she got from you, and she sent me pictures before she got them. So, yeah, she's she's really happy. Um,
3: that's that's the right. best part of what I do, man, is to hear that.
0: Right? I know. It's a great feeling, when, well, especially when you, know, you put all the hard work into it, too, right? And people actually it. Yeah, appreciate. you know,
3: I have to take that back. That's the second best part of what I do. The first best part is seeing the babies pop out of the air. <laughs> right, right. That never, that never yep. gets old, no matter what
0: Yeah Alright, let's take one more call And then I have a bunch of more questions for you Alright, let's see uh, Who's been on the
3: longest year? Caller from the
0: yeah 330 area code You are live on Gecko Nation Radio
3: Hello, guys Hello
0: Hi, who's this? <laughs>
4: this is Brooke
0: Hey, Brooke, hey,
4: how Brooke. are you? I'm good Um, I was wondering how, is it very
6: common for baby gargoyle geckos to be, like, fired up a lot? Uh, it
3: it kind of depends on the individual animal. Um, some will stay fired all the time. Um, some never fire up. <laughs> um, it depends on how small it is. How, how small of an animal are, are you talking about?
8: Um, I guess it's about four inches head to tail.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's still that's still a young baby. Um, that's that's within a couple months old. Um, when they're younger, they tend to be, although it's not quite fired up, not quite the same as what you see in, in some older animals. Um, but young animals like that tend to be darker more often, um, and it's I, I think it's purely just a uh, you know a, a blend you know a camouflage thing, uh, an attempt to blend into. Um, you know, the dark floor or, or wherever it is that they're hiding. So, yes, to okay. answer your question, it, it, it is totally normal. Yes.
4: I was just worried. I was, like, causing it stress or something to have it be fired no. up all the time.
3: And no. I've only seen
4: them fired down, like, twice.
3: <laughs> the What makes the gargoyles fire up and fire down? Um, you know, that's another good question that, to be honest with you, I couldn't answer yeah, 100%. What is that?
0: Explain what the
3: it's, whole fired up, fired down thing is. Well, fired fired down is generally when when the animal um, is kind of washed out. The color, uh, the base colors particularly, the pattern colors, um, they will fade. Um, so, like some of the the base colors, the animals will look white when they're fired down. And then fired up, um, the dark pattern colors become more bold and more pronounced. Any of the color that's in it, red, yellow, oranges, whether it be pattern color or base color, um, you know, and depending on the lineage, it can sometimes look like it's plugged in. The color can be so bright and so intense. It, it looks like it's electric. Um, and what causes the difference between that? Uh, you know, it's not any one thing, I can tell you that. It's almost always a combination of things. Um, generally speaking, though, you're going to see the gargoyles fired down uh, at night during the day, excuse me, and fired up at night. Um, but like I said, there's a lot of things that can influence that, the color of the background. Um, I've noticed that if you have darker backgrounds, some particular animals will tend to stay fired up more often. I would assume in an attempt to be darker and blend in with that background. And, and likewise, I I've seen a lot of animals, um, you know, I keep them on paper towel, um, so I have a lot of animals that that tend to stay fired down quite a bit, and I'm sure that it, that in large part some of that is an effort to blend into the paper towel. Um, humidity can affect it, temperature can affect it. Um, I would say one of the least tails on it would be stress. Um, to see an animal down absolutely in, in most cases does not mean the animal is stressed out. Um, it doesn't mean that it isn't, but it, most likely does not mean that it is so
0: mood mood can affect it too you're saying
3: sure, absolutely, yeah, okay. um you know like when when I do pictures for you know for the website or for Facebook or whatever um you know it generally takes me all day to go to take pictures to up to do an update, and you know I take thousands of pictures in a single day just to get a handful that um that actually work and that are fairly decent. And sometimes the gargoyles, you know, they don't they don't want to cooperate, and um, you know they 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 get a little upset with me because they don't want to sit in front of the camera. And um, in some cases, yeah, it makes them it's good because it makes them fire up really good. Um, but other ones, you know, that it doesn't have any effect on them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Does that answer your question, Brooks?
6: Yep. That makes me feel better. <laughs>
3: Yep, totally
0: normal.
6: Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Thanks, Thanks. you. Hi.
0: Cool. All right. Um, we have some more callers online. line. Folks, hang tight. I'll get to your calls. Um, I just want to touch on a few important things real, real quick with you, Paul.
2: Um, okay.
0: Let's talk about let's talk about the the breeding a little bit more. Now, can you keep groups of females together for breeding?
3: Sure, absolutely. Um, Do they bite each other's my, tails off? Well, you know, if you want perfect animals, um, don't breed. Um, that's right. all I can say about that. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, it, the tail bite. There's, there's a difference between fighting and breeding behavior. Um, you know, if, if you're not familiar, you know, if you're fairly new to geckos and, um, you're not familiar with breeding behavior and not just for gargoyles for just about any gecko, um, you know, sometimes it can look pretty rough and, you know, the geckos make a lot of noise and, you know, depending on the situation, it, it, It can look like fighting. Um, But in my opinion, I I think it's a little bit different. Very rarely do I see them actually fight from that behavior. Um, When you do see fighting is generally if you've got a female that that has eggs in her and she's refusing the male and the male just for whatever reason will not give up Um, and she's already told him three or four times to stop and, and he keeps going, then she'll lay into him pretty good. And that's fighting. And when you see two animals fight, um, it's a big difference between fighting and and a breeding conflict. Um, I don't really see fighting that often. So housing multiple females together is fine. Again, the key is, is lots of, of furniture. So you have hiding places for however many animals that you have in there Um no direct sight line viewing, so whatever their favorite hiding place is, they can't they don't have another gecko sitting in front of their face, um you know right. under the basking light um, and then the food dishes um, they all tend to feed at the same time. my gargles almost always come out just as the sun is coming down um, It's still light outside, but you know just as the sun starts to stay, they come out looking for food and um, I can't tell you how many times that I've opened up my breeder tubs. And had every single animal in that tub, you know, hovered over an empty food dish, waiting for me to feed them. Um, so I think if you're putting multiple animals together, multiple food dishes is a must.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Now, what about so like say for in you know, a twenty gallon high scenario or um, a large Therolite tub, how many females could you house together, What's the max?
3: For well, for a twenty gallon, I'd only really put two animals in. in something that's roughly 20 gallons. Um, You know, you could probably do a trio and something like that. Um, But then again, like I said, how you set up that cage is going to be real important. Um, I use plastic tubs for for all of my animals. I use the Sterilite tubs. Um, My breeders are in 72-quart tubs, which uh, are not available anymore. Um, Unfortunately, I wish I could buy some more. Um, They're not available anymore, but they're uh, roughly... I guess, 14 by 14 by probably 24, something like that. Um, and I use egg crate flats for furniture. Um, I, they're simple. They're easy to clean. Um, the biggest thing is the surface area. Um, you know, and that kind of comes into having a lot of furniture in your cage with multiple animals. Um, and the smaller cage. You can make a smaller cage bigger by adding surface area inside. Um, so in my 72-quart tubs, with egg crates, 12 by 12 egg crate flats, I have fit seven of them in a 72-quart tub. Um, So essentially there's seven square feet of usable space inside that tub for the animals. Um, And most of those tubs are anywhere from 1.2 to I've had as much as 1.7 in there without issues. Um, Most of them are 1.3, 1.4. but, yeah, as, as long as you're, there's that out-of-sight line, plenty of hiding places and separate water dishes, you can put multiple animals together. You shouldn't have problems. Multiple females now, shouldn't have problems. But, of course, you've got okay. the same rules like for anything else. They've got to be close in size and, you know, stuff like that.
0: Right, right, okay. Now, I, I know with adult female crested, we often see a lot of them that are missing tails, and the ones that are missing tails, they call them froglets. I don't really yep. see a lot of gargoyle geckos that are missing tails. Now, um are they like crested where their tails won't grow back or no, do they grow back? Their
3: tails will grow back. Their tails will grow back. Interesting. Um okay. It's it's pretty rare for a gargoyle to drop a tail. Um mm-hmm. I think most in most cases if you see a gargoyle with a regenerated tail or a partially regenerated tail, most likely that hap- that was a cause of breeding. Um, you know, when the male is trying to bite onto the female, you know, he might get the tail or, you know, when the female turns around, she might get the tail. Um, in in all my experience with, with the gargoyles, I've only had one animal drop its tail, you know, physically automize its tail. Um, and I couldn't blame her. I was packing up for a show. Um, she kind of got loose for me and she took off running and, um, it was late, you know, she was going underneath the the heater floorboard, and I kind of pounced on her, you know, pretty roughly, and um and she threw her tail off, and that's the only animal I've ever had do it. Okay,
0: um now you said you, that these tails are prehensile, so when a tail yes. regrows, does it still have that same prehensile ability?
3: Yes, yeah, it does, um and that's they can regrow back say. multiple multiple times, um wow. and what's cool about on the regrowth sometimes. You know, it, it, every, you know, every animal is an individual. Um, you know, I've had some of the regrows grow back um, to where it's completely the the same length as the original tail. And sometimes even they come back with more color than the original tail. Sometimes they come back with less. Um, I've had a few that did not come back to the same length, you know, maybe three quarters of the length of the original tail. Um, I've got one female that, um, at least from what, what I was told, um, she's, uh, one of the original field-collected animals from, from 94, one of the fast field-collected animals. Um, and I was told that she's lost her tail almost every every year in breeding season um, since she was in captivity. And she still has a completely full tail now. She hasn't lost it with me, um, you know, but she's got a complete full tail, which is pretty cool if you think that she's probably lost it, you know, 20 times or more.
0: That's fascinating. You know, that's like a huge advantage over crested geckos because a lot of people just don't like the look of crested geckos without the tail. It kind of it, it takes away from their overall, overall appearance. I mean, I think they're beautiful either way, but, you know, there are mm-hmm. some people that want that perfect gecko. Um, I think True. this is, yeah. really, you know, just a huge advantage.
3: Yeah, and, and one of the cool things, too, is a lot of times the scale, you know, like with fat tails and, and leopards, the tails come back, and they're noticeably different. Um, you know, yep. it's completely different than the original tail. In, in a lot of cases with the gargoyles, unless it's pointed out, most prob- most people probably wouldn't realize that it was a regenerated tail.
0: Maybe that's why I don't see any gargoyles with regenerated tail. I mean, without tails, just they grow back just as perfect. That's why.
3: Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's
0: cool. Well, now I know why. See, I don't know that much about them. This is this is. I'm learning a lot tonight too. That's great. All right. Um, let's go ahead and take another call here. Caller from, uh, let's see, oh, 35 minutes. Jeff, caller from the 717. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio.
6: Hi. Hello, uh, caller. Can you hear me? My, my name is Carly. Um Hi, I met Paul before at a Hamburg show, and I have a couple topics that I wanted to t- talk about that you guys have talked about previously. First off, okay. us girls do exist. We... There are a bunch of people, myself included, that, females anyway. They absolutely love reptiles. I have no problem with having cockroaches, hissers, <laughs> mealworms in my house. Um, That's awesome. It's normally my parents that I have to worry about. Um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on is you guys had said about the calcium and the D3. Mm-hmm. Um, I had yeah. to do a research project for my x-ray school, mm-hmm. and I actually did my project x-rays and reptiles. Um, cool. reptiles are my passion. X-ray is my career. But um, I found in my research, because I did a lot about the metabolic bone disease and how it's displayed on X-ray images, um, that calcium and D3, D3 is actually helps them synthesize calcium mm-hmm. to be able to use that for bone production. So I, I agree with you guys that D3 is very important, especially in preventing metabolic bone disease because you have to, they they have to have it to metabolize the the calcium that they, they intake and help them uptake it. Um, also wanted to make a point that if you, any listeners out there that haven't seen any of Paul's gargoyles, go to the Facebook book page now and check them out. They are absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> Thank um, you. I picked oh, up yeah. a, a red blotch. Oh, and I wanted to say... Um, you asked the other day on your Facebook page whether reds or oranges. I am absolutely yeah. in love with the reds. I really? I love the blotch. Yes. Where, like, I love the neon oranges, but the reds, you get so many different variations. You can get that bright red, and then you can get that really, really dark crimson scarlet color, and I love that. Um, I do have a question for you, Paul. Um, okay. We When I talked to you at Hamburg, we discussed... Um, your husbandry and how you keep all of your geckos and everything um, with breeding groups. I wanted mm-hmm. to ask, do you, I know that you use the paper towels as substrate. Do mm-hmm. you provide a, a lay box for them whenever you know that they're gravid, or do you allow them, like, how do you, how do you go about doing that?
3: No, I, I use lay boxes as well. Um, and because I, I generally house multiple females, um, it's kind of the same my my thought is the same as as the food and, and water. Um, any 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 breeding group that I have multiple females I also have multiple lay boxes. Um, because on a number of occasions I've had two an, two animals trying to get into the lay box at the same time and um that doesn't always work out so well. <laughs>
8: yeah.
3: Uh yeah, definitely. I use the little um GLAD containers, you know, the sandwich containers. I guess they're like uh um, I don't know, I guess three, three inches deep and maybe three and a half, four inches wide and five or six long, and uh, just cut a hole in the top of it. And uh, I use a couple different substrates inside. Most of them are predominantly ver- vermiculite, um, but some of them have some soil and, and deep moss mixture in too. Um, just basically anything that they, they definitely like to dig. Um, for me, most of my cresses lay their, their eggs on top, um, if they dig, they might just dig a little divot and then lay the eggs. Whereas my gargles, um, 100%, will dig as deep as they can get into the container, and and lay them down on the bottom.
6: How, but I find, do you,
3: go, ahead, sorry, sorry. go
6: ahead, I'm
3: sorry. I find that yeah, it, using the late, the gargles at least mine don't use the, the nest boxes at all unless they're getting ready to lay. Um, so generally, if I see them. In or poking around the nest box, you know, you know, to expect eggs within within a couple of days.
6: Do they seem to prefer the vermiculite versus the peat moss, or do you just kind of do that for your own preference, or what's easier for you, or no. do you do that for them?
3: No, um, actually, I I did it because um, for a little while vermiculite was a little difficult to find, um, so I yeah. started using the, the peat moss and, and soil mixture. Uh, I, personally, I like the, the vermiculite better. It's, it's easier for me to to keep the correct dampness in it than than the peat moss and soil. Um, but what I have noticed, uh, what I will say is that what what they seem to like, if if the whatever it is, whatever your substrate choice is, if it doesn't cling to itself, um, they're they're not going to be happy with laying in it. Um, you know, like if it gets dry enough to where it doesn't clump. Um, I see that they they tend to go back and forth looking for for the nest box where the the medium clumps together, um, and I just find vermiculite is quite a bit easier to do that with.
6: Okay, okay, um, yeah, like I said, if you haven't seen his his racks, please go check them out. They are absolutely amazing. Um, and I one last question. Um, I know that they, you use the the pickets are usually the ones that that you use. Um, I guess when you refer to feeding other geckos, that they mm-hmm. that they will eat other geckos. Um, yes. Yeah. Do, how often do you, I guess, supplement with with them? Is that a, a whenever you feed them that you get you you supplement the the geckos, or is that just kind of like a treat?
3: No, it's not. It's nothing that I do regularly. Um, to be quite honest with you, that's, you know, I, I have a fairly extensive Pictus collection going on now. Um, when I first bought the Pictus, they were originally intended to be, um, you know, breeders for, for food items. Um, and it wasn't that I was feeding my whole colony that. Um, it was just that with everything that I saw with the animals, um, it did seem to me that these are more carnivorous than, than the other Acidaclis. So it seemed to make sense. Um, and really, it was just I, I wanted to do it as an experiment, um, just to see what their what their feeding response would be compared to the bugs. Um, you know, if you're feeding bugs, you know I don't know how many gargoyles you have now, but you know the majority of them kind of snub their nose at bugs Un- unless the bugs. What I've noticed, unless the bugs are unusually large, um, you know, like the general rule for geckos is the distance between the eyes. Um, for gargles I like to they recommend going a little bit bigger than that if you can, um, because it seems like the bigger bug is what really catches their attention. Um, and that's kind of what threw me onto the geckos, too, to, to try and feed. Um, I only did it for with a small group for um, maybe three months, four months, so it, I really didn't get too far with it. Uh, at that time, the demand for Pictus just kind of went through the ceiling. So instead yeah. of using them for feeders, you know, I was I was selling them for pets. Um, but there's definitely, yeah, their responses, unlike any. I, I mean, uh, you know, I can't, I, I, I couldn't give you the, an explanation of what they do to to give you a right picture in your mind. But every animal that I offered a, a feeder gecko to, um, they pounced on it with quickness I've never seen before. <laughs>
6: And speaking of that, I picked up the Pangaea from you at that show, and, and I was telling you that I was feeding Rapashi and I have seen a huge difference in not only color but feeding response and, and how yeah. you guys were speaking earlier about how sometimes there's food left over. With the Pangaea, I haven't seen any food left over, even in my, my Cresties. They, they go for it like you wouldn't believe
3: yeah that Pangea <laughs> definitely the the i think it's the watermelon that they they tend to like in there yeah, the or the watermelon flavor um yeah they just it's it it really is unbelievable how much they like it you know, and I've heard some people kind of say, well, I don't want to use a food just because they eat more of it, but I, that I'm not sure I understand completely if they eat more of the diet then, then they're, they're getting more feed, of what they need feed them
6: when they're hungry yeah
3: yeah and and they like it that's the biggest thing the the one the only downside to the pangea which i'm not sure if it, if you could consider it a downside at all um is i also fed the Rapashi, um and i found that once i started feeding the pangea um most of the animals would not eat the Rapashi after that um unless i added fruit to it if i added a fresh fruit to the rapache then they they gobble it up just as good um yeah, but they definitely prefer the Pangea. They they actually like it.
2: Yeah.
3: I've had some yeah. animals as I'm going through my feeding tubs, you know, because um, I kind of feed on three-day schedules. So but the third day, if one particular animal ate all of his food and he's sitting there for the next day hungry and uh, he's sitting there waiting, I've had animals, as soon as I put that bowl in there, they run over to it and start eating it. And that, that never happened before.
6: Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to thank you. You are absolutely amazing. You know your stuff, and I go to you for pretty much anything, and I will be going to you for all of my gargoyle needs now, in the future, whenever, and I definitely look forward to seeing you at the next Hamburg show.
3: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You
6: guys have a good evening.
3: You too. Thanks, Carly. We'll talk to you later, Carly.
6: Thanks. Bye.
0: Wow, Paul, you, you, you're doing it right, man. People have a lot of great things to say about you. Um,
2: Thank see, you very much. A I...
0: more... Yeah. Hopefully uh, the passion a more comes through. Coming. It does, that, definitely. Um, let's see. Just so you guys know, we're probably going to go into a little bit of overtime tonight. So um, in, once the show passes the two-hour mark, you have to actually call in to hear the end. So uh, the call-in number, again, is 646-478-5331. All right, I'm going to get to these. Uh, two last calls here, and then I'll have a few more questions for you, Paul. And then we'll wrap okay. things up. Let's see. Caller from the two one six area code. You're live on Geico Nation Radio.
4: Hey guys, how are you doing? Hello. Who is this? This is April. Hi April, Hi, April. how are you? April good, good. I actually wanted to ask you about. Uh, hopefully, you guys didn't cover this already, because I I missed a part of it. But, um, okay, I was actually wondering if you could talk about breeding for uh structure rather than color or pattern, because i've you know obviously I've noticed a lot of breeders going for that great bright red stripe with a mm-hmm. uh, orange blotch and but I've also seen a couple breeders just geared straight toward the, um, like the horns that they produce. And I was wondering how
3: you go about that. Same way, same way for the colors. Um, I've got a couple of groups. In, in all of my groups, um, I, I can't even say that there's one group that has a single specific trait I'm breeding for. Pretty much all of my groups are put together with considerations for multiple traits that I'm trying. And definitely the horns are, are up there, um, you know, just like the cresteds are with, with, with big heads. Um, I'd like to see some some big horns on these guys. And um, just like some of the other traits, I I see it passed on um, just as predominantly as the color and the pattern are. If you get two animals that have big horns, um, your babies are going to have big horns, and and probably most of them will. So I think, uh, you know, we we start – getting a few people to concentrate on that more, um, you're going to see some, some really big gains in it in, in a fairly short amount of time.
4: Okay, good. So, so it's not like the, uh, the patterns, like you are talking about, how you could put two uh, stripes together and possibly not get any stripes.
3: So. Well, well, no, there's, there's definitely going to be a variance, um, you know, with any pairing that you put together no matter what. Um, but it's, the horns definitely seem to be one of those, like the, the pattern color. Um, you know, I have to admit that part of my success with these guys and getting some of these bright colors is when you do put two animal, two really nice animals together, generally the offspring are going to be nicer than the parents. Um, so a lot of these, you know, in, in Philippe's book, he mentions that some of the patterns and, and traits – seem to have a co-dominant, um, type of outcome. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call them co-dominant per se, but yeah, that does make a little bit of sense because the, it's not as hard to, it doesn't seem to be as hard to refine some of the traits as it has been in other animals that I worked with. Um, some of the traits do seem to get passed on a little more directly and, and, um, with some more predictability than, than some of the others and horns happen to be one of them.
4: Okay. I th- I find that really interesting and I, I enjoy the look, especially on some that I've seen that are really pronounced, just like with the crest on the cracker, got the geckos.
3: Yeah. And you know, and I think that's, uh, you know, maybe in, I, I can only speak for what I have in, you know, in my own colony. Um, but I would assume, though, I don't know if you heard when I was talking about hereditary before, it, it does appear that a lot of the traits, um, how often they show up in the babies kind of is really dependent on how much that trait has been in, in the, past of, you know, the past history of that animal. Um, so, yeah, you get once you get two or three generations in where you're breeding for that specific trait, you're, yeah, you're absolutely, you know, not every animal okay over you know the course of a year but the chances of you getting your your ideal goal out of a specific pair at least one animal you know one baby that represents that ideal um is, is pretty darn good
4: well, well thank you, you so your for taking my call yes it does <laughs> and i just want awesome. to agree with everyone else i'm saying that you know i i look at your stuff daily and, and you have some amazing animals and uh... Right now, at the moment, I, I only have one Gargoyle, and I actually uh, purchased him from uh, Kylie uh, Rakes. I think is how you pronounce it, the Gargoyle Queen, but
3: definitely mm-hmm, yeah. hope to uh, be
4: getting something from you in the future.
3: Cool. Thank you very much.
4: Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks, April. All right, let's grab this
0: next call. Caller from the 80, 801 area code. You are live on Geckondition Radio.
6: Hi, my name's Vanessa. Um, I've got a question for you. Hi, I was wondering how long do females usually, like, retain sperm from the males after you breed them? And then what's the longest that you've ever had a female retain?
3: Um, That's a good question and kind of difficult for me to answer just because of how I run the colony. Uh, Most of my breeding females don't really go, you know, more than a couple months um, without being a male. being with with a male, excuse me. Um, Generally, when I put a group together, I put it together in the beginning of December. And unless, you know, another animal comes up that I want to separate one of those animals and, you know, pair it with somebody else, generally those groups will stay together all year, all season. And if it's a good group and they've, they've produced nice animals and they've all gotten along and produced well for me, generally they'll stay together for, you know, more than one season. Okay.
4: Cool. Well, I was also wondering, I know, like,
6: some geckos do funny things. They all have their own personality. Do
2: mm-hmm. you have
6: any geckos that just, like, dig for fun? Because you talk about when they're digging, they're usually laying eggs. But I was wondering wondering if any of them just dig because they want to.
3: <laughs> I I haven't noticed that. Um, okay. You know, most the way, the way my, all my, my cages are set up, all of my nest boxes are right up front. Um, so what I try to do is on a pretty much a nightly basis. Sometimes, you know, you, you get, the animals they're they're cyclical. So once they start laying at a certain point, um, depending on whatever your temperature is, they'll pretty much lay on a pretty consistent interval. Um, you know, so you can kind of get an idea as to when to expect it. Um, I can't honestly say that I've ever seen an animal digging that that wasn't prepared to lay eggs. Um, but that doesn't mean that they wouldn't. I, I I could definitely, you know, if let me if the humidity was a little bit low, um, I would definitely see an animal digging down in the dirt, you know, to try and maybe gain a little bit of moisture. Um, so I wouldn't say that it it they would never do it, but I don't think it's a, definitely not a common thing. Okay.
4: Cool. Well, thank you. That was everything. You're welcome. And yes, I've seen I've never been lucky enough
6: to meet any of your geckos in person or see them in real life, but I love the pictures that you post on Facebook. They're absolutely beautiful.
3: Thank you very much.
6: Thanks for talking cool.
0: to me.
3: Cool. You're welcome. What was your name again? Vanessa? Vanessa?
0: Vanessa. Okay, Vanessa. Yeah. Thanks
4: for calling in. You no don't
0: Bye. All right. All right, Paul, would you, would you mind giving us a little bit more of your time to go over a few other, a few other topics before we wrap things up?
3: Absolutely. Go ahead. Fire
0: cool. away. No more callers on the line. We took care of everybody. But I definitely want to touch on a few important things that I know people are going to want to know, especially when they're going to breed their animals. Now, with leopard geckos, when a female uh, gecko is ovulating, we can flip her over and we can actually see the ovulation circles. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you knew when your females were ovulating, is it a noticeable thing or can you actually see it underneath or through their skin?
3: No, you can't. From For most animals, you you can't see it like you can with leopard geckos or fat tails or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. once you've had a female go through the cycle a few times, uh, and especially if you, you know, you've had your female for quite a while and, you know, you have a good idea for what her, sh- her overall shape is in general, um... You can notice it once you get toward you know the last couple of weeks, um, but you're you're most likely not going to be able to see it through the belly or anything like that. They definitely swell up, you know, just in front of their their hind their hind legs, you know, right in that order. in that excuse me, right in that area. And it's generally the swelling on both sides is not is not equal because the side you know the eggs aren't laying side by side. One is kind of usually a little more in front of the other. Um, so, like okay. I said, if you, you're familiar with your animal, in the later stages, you should be able to see it and recognize it. Okay.
0: All right. Well, that, that's a good point. That's good to understand. Also, with, the, with your eggs, now, what's the best medium to use for them to lay their eggs in, and then what is the best medium to use uh, to incubate the eggs in?
3: Well, for for laying, uh, my personal opinion, I I like the vermiculite, like I said before. Um, Mm -hmm. I think anything that they can, because they want to dig a hole. They they physically are looking to dig a hole and then lay the eggs in the hole and then cover the hole. So anything that, any substrate that's going to be sticky enough to stick together so they can actually make a hole and it's not, you know, as they're digging, it's not going to be caving in on them um would work would work just fine anything that's uh I would always make the the substrate at least two and a half inches um three inches deep um even a little bit more wouldn 't hurt if you if you can swing it because uh they definitely like to to dig them down as deep as they can go um for hatching i I use uh basically the same thing as right. um I, I it's cal hatch right is is calcined clay um when you buy the right brand, it's already moistened to the correct levels and all that kind of stuff. Um, what, what I use is basically the calcine clay. I go to my, my local nursery and, and buy it in, in larger bags, and it's basically a bonsai uh, plant medium. Um, and, of course, I have to add the water, so, that, you know, you do have to measure it. and um, Not necessarily measure it. I don't measure it, but you don't want to make it too wet. Um, if you get a substrate that's too wet, you're going you're gonna to mold your eggs. I think uh, overall, probably Paralite, I've had a little bit more success um, as a whole on Paralite. I have recently, this year, started using the the little egg trays. I haven't uh, quite had an opinion on them yet, um, whether they're an advantage or a disadvantage. Um, I guess most people seem to be having pretty good luck with them. I don't have anything Mm -hmm. bad to say at this point yet.
0: Okay. All right. What about um, the time for incubation? And also, uh, is there any temperature sex determination uh, with with, uh,
3: Garfield? That's a good one, too, man. Incubate for sexes? I've been experimenting with it for several years already. um, And Mm -hmm. maybe I'm doing something wrong. I I have been unable to figure it out completely. from some of my notes, I have to say and and even Philippe makes a mention in his book that that he says that they're temperature sex dependent um I absolutely agree with that i just it does not work the way leopard geckos and 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 you know some other reptiles work um definitely you know higher seems to be more for male and lower is more for female, but it's not quite that simple yet um I have a couple different stations for incubating. I incubate on a shelf um, in a separate room. I incubate on a shelf in the reptile room and I have an incubator. So basically I cover every temperature from about 70, 71 degrees all the way up to 84. Um, Two years, this is several years back and not in a row. um, On average, I hatch less than 5% male. Um, So, 95% female on the whole, um, two separate years. I hatched in the 40% male range. And for the life of me, I haven't been able to figure out what it was that I did those two years that is different now. Um, but a difference between less than 5% and 40% just, um, tells me through common sense that temperature sex dependency has to play a role somehow. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, hopefully, we'll figure it this year. I, I, one of the things that I had had uh, made a point to work on this year that I I kind of thought was the difference between the previous years that I that I hatched a lot of males was timing. Um, in the years that I hatched a large percentage of males, my collection was much smaller, so I was on top of the eggs a little bit better. Um, in most cases, I was I was collecting eggs or at least checking for eggs through the whole colony. Um, twice a day uh, in the morning and in the evening, and now that's just it's not really possible for me to do that all the time. Um, and sometimes there's there's periods where it might go twenty four hours or so before I, I collect the eggs. Um, and from from what I can gather from my notes, that's really about my only option left. Um, it may depend on getting those eggs into the incubator at a specific temperature. Within just a few hours or you know maybe a day or so, um and that might be the influence this year. I've been really making a point to be on top of it a little bit better um, so hopefully we'll see okay
0: yeah well that's that's interesting um I think something that people are going to want to know about is the price structure with the different um different traits that you're working with, and basically what determines a higher-valued gargoyle as opposed to a lower-valued one? How do you price your animals, basically?
3: Um, Well, as far as... A lot of the pricing is based on demand. Um, Anything with stripes has a higher demand. Um, For the most part, red has the highest demand. Red and red stripes are are what everybody wants. Um, For me... I, 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 well, and, stri- and the quality. Um, you know, you have some animals that have perfect stripes, and you have some animals that have broken stripes. So, a super high-end animal is is an animal with six stripes. You know, four four dorsal stripes, uh, lateral stripes, and they're they're all solid. Um, you know, that's and and in red. Um, that would be the holy grail, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. I think super blotches are coming up. Uh, a lot of people are, are seeing the beauty in the super blotches. Um, they are seem, seeming to get a little bit more recognition. Um, personally, uh, the, the perfect striped animals, like I said, which are the ones that most people want, I, I love them and they're great. They're not the most beautiful out of all the patterns and choices to me. When you get really perfect stripes, Um, all of those animals look the same because all the stripes are perfect. Um, you know, so there's obviously variances between animals, but they all kind of have the same look. They're perfect stripes. Um, for me, I, I like the reticulated animals the best. The the reticulated animals that get pattern color are the blotched animals. And every single one of those is different. Um, pattern wise, um, color wise, every single one is different. And they're just a a lot more beautiful in, in my opinion. Um, a lot of my pricing will depend on the the, the genes um, how many time, how, how many generations have been bred for that specific trait? Um, size plays a role in it. sex plays a role in it um, because of the rarity of males males are are fetch quite a bit more money, um, especially if it's a really nice male um, than females do um, and that about that's that's about it. It's size, color, um, pattern and sex are the, the main factors.
0: Okay. All right. That's, that makes sense. Um and um uh, I guess finally we can end it is at ended it at uh what expos do you currently
3: uh vend at well? Um uh, the White Plains, um in New York. Um the Hamburg or and in, in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. Those would be my two main shows. Um you can catch me there every single show. Um I do uh, the Parsiphone show in, in in New York, um, and actually for right now that's about it. Um, I did do a couple other shows last year. There were a couple shows in New Jersey, um, right here in my home state, but uh, unfortunately those didn't make it past a couple a couple expos. So we're pretty much limited to the the PA and, and New York area for the most part. Okay,
0: um, at this time I'd like to give you a chance to. Uh, leave us with any closing remarks,
3: uh, that you have. Oh, uh, uh, closing remarks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure what to say. Um, you know, <laughs> okay. I just, uh, check out my geckos, you know, uh, I put my heart and soul into these animals. Um, you know, I, I, I love them just like I love my dogs and, and the rest of my family. And, uh, um, I hope it shows in the animals because really at the end of the day, you know, that's, um. I I do this because I love it and, and hopefully get to spread that love to other people. And, and hopefully that's, you know, the infectious part of what I do. And, uh, I, I, just, uh, always hope that it comes through and, and, um, that people see that, uh, not everybody, not all breeders do it for the money, you know, that, um, there are still quite a few people out there that, uh, can make a living at it and, and do it because they love it at the same time.
0: well, your knowledge and your enthusiasm definitely shows and I just wanna thank you for giving us just an amazing interview tonight. And I think as far as having this show be the go to show for Gargoyle gecko uh enthusiasts, I, I think we totally nailed it, Paul. And uh oh, awesome. You know. Yeah, and I'm I'm really looking forward to stopping by and seeing uh seeing your table at the next show and uh, you know me, man, I'm I'm a gecko addict myself, so I'll probably be grabbing one at some point and if I do it's gonna be from you. So
3: All right, cool. Uh, thank love you to hear that. Thank you. Thank you
0: very much. Absolutely. And uh you're welcome back anytime. You have an open invitation. Anytime you'd like to come back and uh talk about geckos we can uh we can certainly do it again.
3: Absolutely. You know, uh you get me talking about geckos and generally it's kinda of hard to shut me up, so
0: <laughs>
3: me too.
0: Great stuff. We found we we really found something, uh, something unique and special in the world, don't you think? And I yes. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Right, no, I mean,
3: you know, um, you know, I've I've been able to I've been lucky enough to follow try at least try to follow a few of my passions, and yeah, um, working with these animals is amazing, and I hope that um, you know, I hope that we can do what we love to do, um you know, for a long time to come.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. All right, Paul, thanks again. And, um, you know, uh, like I said, anytime you want to come back, you're welcome.
3: All right. I appreciate it. I will definitely take you up on that.
0: Cool. All right, Paul, thanks again. Talk to you soon. Thanks, David. All right, later. All right, folks. Wow, great show. I think we nailed it. Um I'm going to go ahead and play the outro and I will come back with my closing remarks. Hang tight. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. All right, folks. Now, I think the moral of the story tonight—these and these are my closing remarks—is, um, you know, when you're when you're interested in reptiles and geckos in particular, it's kind of hard not to uh, start acquiring different species and uh, basically keeping different all different types. And if you can do that, that's great. Um, what people like Paul and myself are doing is, you know, you, you pick the one that you really like the best and you focus on it and you really try to master that. And Paul has certainly mastered gargoyle geckos and it shows in every single one that he produces. And you guys can do the same thing. Find one that really moves you. Find one that if you had a thousand of them, you'd never get bored with them. Okay? And then focus on them and become a master of it. That's the best advice I can give you to become really, like, respected, known for your craft, and basically, you know, become a presence out there, okay? I mean, you know, if you want to focus on a bunch of different species, that's fine, too. Again, I guess the the moral is do it the best you can and master it. Um, So another great episode comes to a close, folks. I hope we did a good job for you tonight. I hope the information helps you with your new gargoyle geckos, I happen to think uh, there's, there's really not too many breeders working with gargoyles out there compared to those that are working with cresteds, leopards, and other species. So from a standpoint of uh, becoming a new breeder uh, in gargoyles, there's some room right now for that, for someone to make a name for themselves. So if you like gargoyles and you think you can uh, dedicate, uh, you know, 100% of your energy to it, now's your chance And I don't think there's anybody out there better to get your stock from than Paul. So check him out and uh, join us again next week for another great episode. And as far as the raffle goes, I'll be pulling the name uh, from a random name generator during the week. So uh, it's hang out and get the nation, and you'll be aware. I want to thank everybody that called in tonight. Uh, Let's see, the callers tonight were Dylan, Hector, Elsa, Marcy, Brooke, Carly, April, Vanessa, All you guys, thank you very much for calling in. Great questions. I want to mention our sponsors, and then I'm going to play a cool song for you. All right, right off the bat, Dale's Bearded Dragons. Been there with us since the very beginning. If you guys have been to any of the shows on the East Coast, they are the biggest presence as far as reptile supplies go. And they're basically getting their website geared for online sales. But until they do that, you know, you guys can still get stuff from them at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store simply by uh, connecting with the owner either on Facebook or if there's a product that you need, like an incubator or uh, anything, uh, supplements, cages, exoteras, uh, heat pads, anything you need, anything you can buy in that pet store, they have it, and at cheaper prices. Um, we can certainly you know, help you and get it shipped to you. All right, so just contact me or contact the Bearded Dragons, on Facebook or online. All right, uh, avdragons.com, best Dubia roach supplier. Absol- hands down the best Dubia roaches. Highest quality, fed the best foods, just amazing and great pricing. They have FlexWatt heat tape, the best heat tape in the world. It, FlexWatt is by far the safest, the most advanced. As far as technologically, it is the most Advanced heat tape on the market right now, none others can, can beat it as far as advancement. None of them can beat it as far as energy efficiency and overall safety. Flexwatt has it all covered. Despite any claims by imitations that they're better, it's not true. Flexwatt is still the best, still the safest. And uh, you guys can check out the FlexSlot Facebook page. And, uh, of course, calories.com is the maker of FlexSlot. FlexWat built the herp industry. Without Flexwatt, the breeders of snakes and leopard geckos and would not have been able to get to where we are today. So FlexWat invented heat tape over 30 years ago. Still going strong. Also, geckoboa.com. John Scarborough is really making noise out there with some amazing wild types. He's basically got all the current available subspecies of uh, leopard geckos available, and he's doing an excellent job. With, uh, with them. Amazing examples. He's even got certain lo- different localities of uh, the different types. So check out geckoboa.com. And he's got a lot of other great morphs too. Um, Supreme Gecko, Wally Turn. Got some amazing Cresties, Micro Geckos, Day Geckos, Any Cell Supplies. I think he's doing something, uh, he's doing one of his um, uh, contests or something right now on Facebook. you got to check it out. I forgot what it's about. But go on Facebook and look for Supreme Gecko. Um, he's up to something right now. Uh, Ohio Gecko, Fad is doing a great job with fat-tailed geckos. He's got the starbursts. He's got some amazing tangerines. Like, when I go to the show and I look at his table, it's just how orange, crazy orange coloration,
1: doing a great
0: job with tangerines. And snows, too. It's got some really nice snows. So check out Ohio Gecko and, of course, geckoforums.net. That's the place to go if you're a gecko fanatic like us. All right, Rainbow Mealworms. Can't forget Rainbow. Rainbow's really hooking us up this month. And it's only good to the end of the month, but you've got to use the code GECKONATION for 30% off your order of mealworms and superworms, folks. That's that's a historic, just crazy coupon. Credit. Take advantage. It's good for two orders, okay, exclusively for GECCO Nation. Thank you very much, Julian, from Rainbow. Uh, reptiles is totally the best customer service does everything legitimate, just awesome. Check out reptilesexpress.com. Use them for your shipping labels. I have never had an issue, and uh, I've been using them for over a year. Shipped hundreds of geckos with them. Great. The best prices, too, hands down. And they're running this special, Gecko Nation 10. You're going to get 10% off your order. Uh, It's good for two orders, too, so use Gecko Nation 10. All right. And they haven't inflated their prices to compensate for that discount like other companies do. That's a legit discount. All right, folks. Uh, Ron Tremper, the king, the king of leopard geckos. Ron, nobody's been more influential in the world of leopard geckos than Ron Tremper, folks. Check out his website, leopardgecko.com, and keep in mind, there's only a few more copies of his book left. It's called Leopard Geckos, The Next Generation's. You've got to get it, and you've got to have him autograph it. So buy it from his website. Don't buy it on Amazon or whatever, because then you can't get it autographed. It's going to be a collector's item. Leopard geckos are already huge, but they're going to be even bigger soon, all right, because we're going to make sure of that. So check out his website. Also, he's got the Leopard Gecko Care app. It's free for a little bit longer, and then it's like a dollar, but get it now. It's like a handbook that you can keep on your phone uh, with all the basics of leopard gecko care. And, of course, he's got the Leopard Gecko Pro app that's basically an, it's like an encyclopedia of most of the popular morphs in circulation today. Okay, so those are both available for you. And that's a bunch of other apps, too, uh, that are available. All right. And also, giantleopardgecko.com. Keith Kiggins is doing some great work with big geckos, just like the name suggests. So check out Giant Leopard Gecko. That's some amazing tremper stuff and some fat tails, some really nice fat tail geckos. We're happy to have him on board as a sponsor, and uh, he's one of our newest sponsors. So giantleopardgecko.com, online and on Facebook posts. And uh, last but not least, MS2 Premium Chow. Check out MS2, uh, ent at weebly.com. And, uh, of course, you can get MS2 also at Rainbow Mealworms and uh, it's the best fear feeder food for your feeders. That stands down. So if you need something to, to gut load your insects to make sure that they're healthy for your animals, MS2 is the way to go. Everybody's raving about it, and everybody stands behind it. All right. So that's those are our sponsors. We do have one more sponsor uh, spot open. Okay, I'm going to allow one more, and then I'm capping it off because I just don't want the whole show to be advertisements. Uh, even though we love our sponsors, these are the, some of the best businesses and breeders in the community. Um, we're very picky about who sponsors the show, and we want to be able to stand behind our sponsors, just like our sponsors stand behind us. Okay, so we're going to allow one more in. If you guys, um, if there's a business out there or a breeder, and you'd like to become a sponsor of Gecko Nation Radio and reach a lot of people, um, message me either on Facebook or you can email us at gecko nation radio at gmail.com. All right, folks, here is a great song to take us out. Until next time.
7: Hands down, down They are built to hold on fit because far they go round You don't need these now that you've found another pair And the difference is standing eyes six months